as we wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal. Americans are facing a new normal, one that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. In 2021, the free hearts and minds of the world are standing together in celebration of freedom and community. The people are waking and organizing. The people are recognizing their own power. The people of the world are uniting against the Great Reset. The people are celebrating the Greater Reset. From May 24th to 28th, join us as we gather online and in person for the Greater Reset. From activation to expansion. Over five days, we will focus on practical solutions for the most pressing issues of our time. Over 30 world-class speakers will share ideas in five different themes. May 24th, Mind, Body, and Soul. May 25th, Regenerate the Earth. May 26th, The Counter-Economy. May 27th, Liberating Technology. May 28th, Community and Relationships. Don't miss out on the next step in the Greater Reset. It's time to get activated. This is our world, our way. Welcome the, the global audience. Welcome the Buda audience, the Zihuatanejo audience. Today we're talking about liberating technology. And there's a lot of folks in our community, in the liberty community, in the conspiracy research community that are not very fond of technology. In fact, there's some people that want to just have a totally natural world, which I'm all about, but I don't reject technology wholeheartedly because technology is what is allowing us to bring you this amazing stream today. And technology is what allows us to drive in a motor vehicle to the, to the Buda-inspired art center. But technology is changing. It's changing for the better. And in some aspects, it's changing for the worse. So there's this paradox that we see entering in where there's certain technologies like blockchain technology that is simultaneously being used to help liberate humanity to help people have privacy, to help people have ownership over their money, to create decentralized institutions of organization and decision-making, right, that, aren't, that don't rely on a hierarchical system. This is all groundbreaking stuff. But it's also being used to track, trace, and surveil as part of this technocratic regime. And I think the message that Derek and I like to convey is being free, powerful, beautiful human beings, we can play a role in how this technology develops. And we don't have to be in a state of victimhood. We don't have to be in a state of reaction. We can choose to be empowered and grow the liberating aspects of these technologies. And that's exactly what we want to do here today on day four of the Greater Reset. There he is. Okay. All right. Well, Ramiro is the first speaker today. So I guess I'm just going to talk here for a little while, which I have no problem doing. So uh, we did the D3 Tech Summit recently. It was part of the Greater Reset experience, the decentralized distributed and disruptive technologies. It's a two-day summit. took place about a month ago. You can learn about it at d3techsummit.com or you can visit our website. And one of the 
talks that I did, I laid out a few ways where decentralized technology can really benefit our pursuit of freedom. A few different ways. Again, there's a lot of people that are skeptical, and we should be concerned with how blockchain technology specifically is being utilized for central bank digital currencies, for example. It's being utilized for blockchain-based digital identity certificates. Because blockchain, essentially, it's a, a database. It's like a distributed database that makes information dissemination and analysis more efficient. That could be used in beautiful ways or it could be used in very dark, scary ways, right? And the whole thing with Bitcoin, early on, I've been into Bitcoin for like eight, nine years now. And we were so idealistic, like Bitcoin's going to destroy the central banks and we're going to have this crypto utopia. And then the central banks were like, not so fast. We're going to create our own central bank digital currencies. Ha ha. Ah, they're good, those, those bankers. But there's all sorts of great stuff we can do with decentralized blockchain technology. We can secure our financial freedom. We can avoid inflation. We can expand our wealth, right? We can also use it in order to conceal our financial transactions. That would help really disrupt this whole mark of the beast, track and trace, surveillance, financial system that's being put into place. And we can also leverage decentralized autonomous organizations in order to engage in financial transactions, in order to take out loans, in order to collect interest on our money, in order to create decentralized communities where we have a auditable consensus-based decision-making mechanism. These are all big things, and we're going to be talking about them all today to help you get inspired to take part in what we like to call the first decentralized evolution. You guys doing okay down there now? Let's try now. <laughs> it's that Bill Gates shirt. Someone's like, we can't allow that shirt to be on. Bill Gates cannot be portrayed in that negative light. Bill Gates can be the only person to portray himself in a negative light. Old Fauci was on there too. So we have this technology. It's very confusing, right? But I want to encourage people to, to recognize like not everyone knows exactly how the internal combustion engine works, but they still have value with, with their automobiles, right? Not everyone knows what happens on the back end when you swipe your credit card, all the little swift channels and ATM machines and central bank clearing houses and stuff. So we don't have to understand the intricacies of this technology in order to benefit from it. But the cool thing about the new technology that's coming about is it's decentralized. So all throughout history, when it came to finances and decision-making systems, we had to trust a third party. We had to trust a centralized institution, whether it's a bank, a central bank, the county voting office, or whatever, right? Who was it? Stalin said it's not who votes that counts, but who counts the votes, something like that. Jerk. Well, we now have... Decentralized technology, decentralized blockchain technology, decentralized internet technology like IPFS we're going to hear about from Mike Swatek here shortly. And these technologies enable us to engage in relationships, communication, financial transactions without having to trust a third party or rely on an intermediary. And this is really groundbreaking times that we're entering. John, in, can you hear me? This technology yeah. spread all over. I can't hear you. How you doing? Can you hear yourself? Twice? Yes, right. unfortunately. Should we just go to Mike then, old Derek, while you guys sort that out, and then we'll go to Ramiro next? Yeah, let's go to Mike. 
Okay, except I need to get this presentation fixed. So let me check real quick if LibreOffice is downloaded. Oh, it's not. We may just have to roll with the PDF as is, okay? All right, so we're going to bring up Mike Swatek real quick. This is an amazing gentleman. He's the brains behind Agris Market, and he has been working hard getting people's websites, really big websites. I'll let him tell you about that. Getting these websites onto this decentralized web of sorts that can't be censored, right? So what we're trying to do is convey some really serious information, but unfortunately, big tech and Google and all these authorities are trying to hide that information from people. But there's now technology that exists that makes it censor-proof, where it can't be taken down. And this gentleman right here is doing a lot of hard work to put that technology out there and put information out through these technologies. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike. If you'll just introduce yourself, let me get that all fired up for you. Yeah, I'm Mike Swatek, and uh, some of my projects you may have heard of are agris.market which is a marketplace where we're connecting buyers and sellers in the Agora. Uh, market is not involved in the transactions. It's just connecting buyers and sellers that are operating outside the banking system. That's the primary thing and the non-aggression principle. As long as you meet those two criteria, you can list your business on market for free. And then uh, I was inspired by the Jackalope Freedom Festival back in 2019, and we didn't have anything like that in the middle of the continent. And so driving back, I decided, well, okay, I talked to Alma, and she just put a website up there and said, hey, there it is. And then people started showing up, and she really made it look easy because nobody's in charge. There's no real organization to the thing. So I followed her model. And now we have MidFest, the Mid-Continent Liberty Festival. Happens every April and October October in northeast Oklahoma in the foothills of the Ozarks. Beautiful place, Copperhead Rally Grounds, and uh, so that's cool. And then there's my business, uh, ppmsilver.com, and it is a, I sell high silver concentration uh, personal care products, and... Uh, so they've helped a lot of people. I developed them because it was helping me, you know, address some things I was trying to take care of. And uh, people encouraged me to start selling it. And next thing you know, you know, if you'd have told me five years ago you're going to own a cosmetics company, uh, I would have been truly laughing and rolling on the floor because that's I'm an engineer, you know. I've done failure analysis for a quarter of a century on systems, and that's that's my profession is engineering and failure analysis and pumping systems and stuff. But uh, no, now I have a cosmetics company. So there we go. You're also into pirate chain, aren't you? I love pirate chain. Pirate chain R A R R R. It's a great crypto. It is really truly the most private crypto out there and you can include uh, private messages as well in your transaction and it uses a technology where literally it's like the r disappeared from my pocket and it appeared in your pocket nobody saw it i didn't even see it all i know is my r is gone and they've got it in their pocket and they don't even know who it came from and if you look at a transaction all you can learn from that is yes a transaction happened but nothing about who from who to how much uh, lately, since R has been gaining some traction, there's a lot of FUD going around, fear, uncertainty, and doubt about R people saying, oh, it's not, it wasn't started private enough. And, well, I'm sorry, the, the odds of 
any compromises in the way R started are uh, infinitesimally small. So I'm not concerned about that. It's uh, it's just been interesting to watch how people have. You know, it's funny. It's hard to build something. You know, I've built a lot of things in my career, started a lot of things. It's hard to build things. It takes work. But it's so easy to tear things down. There are so many people out there. That's their thing. Just tear it down. Tear it down. You know, they are absolutely worse than non-productive because they're destroying things, really. So, you know, I don't understand that mentality. But obviously, there's a lot of it out there these days. And I sell my products for our... R has a marketplace. It's called Armada, A-R-R-R-Mata.com. And you'll find both Brave Botanicals and PPM Silver there in the marketplace. So you can buy stuff with your R there. And uh, it's uh, it's been pretty cool. I have made some sales for R. I think I was John's first R sale. We were testing his R receiving capability. It worked just fine. And so really enjoyed helping him get started with that. And I do accept crypto for my orders and I give discounts for crypto, you know. I mean, I would rather receive crypto than any other form of payment other than maybe silver because I love silver, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's that's really my thing is silver. And now I've got the silver business and you know, but but ours great. Uh also, you know, I like Monero, but uh ours is a little bit better. But I can't say anything bad about Monero. I think Monero and R complement each other for, you know, being buying and selling things in the Agora. And so, yeah, it's good stuff. And how you get into all this crazy stuff, Mike? Okay. Well, you know, I was uh, okay. I, I'm going to go ahead and start talking a little bit about my presentation. And one of the things that people do is they tend to focus a lot on the problems. And I'm, I'm not immune for that. You know, I was focused on problems, problems, really kind of getting overwhelmed by it. And I was still living in town. And I'm looking around and going, oh my gosh, this is not going to work out very well if things come unhinged, you know. And so I decided to find some land and build a homestead. And so that was back in 2013. And the next two years were just consumed with building the homestead. I was my own general contractor. I did the house design. I mean, you know, I'm off way out in the woods on an Indian reservation. I just went way back off there in the forest and, and built me a place. So uh, so that kind of got me started down the path of looking toward, uh, you know, this uh, model, I guess, of evading the issues that are being thrown at us at more and more on a daily basis. Uh, once I got there, uh, we were having the Ebola scare back in 2014 where they brought people to Dallas and then they went out wandering around. You know, I was wondering, well, what, what are we going to do, man, if it gets out? And so the, uh, the answer they had was experimental vaccines. I didn't like the sound of that. Got to doing some research and discovered that the country of Sierra Leone had approved a particular brand of colloidal silver as a safe and effective treatment for Ebola. No kidding. And so, like, wow, i got to learn more about that. And I did, and I found out, you know, it might work. 
and did some research, found out there were only a few good products out there, they were expensive, I'm a tightwad, and I'm an engineer, and I said, well, that's expensive, I'll just make it myself. And this was not immune, and so I ended up making my own colloidal silver, spent four years developing that, and then people encouraged me to buy it and stuff. So that's how my business got started. And I already told you about Midfest, how it got started. But all this gets back to problems, problems, problems. People are always focused on the problems. And it gets to you. It's depressing. It consumes all your time. To fight that. And so, really, it's a matter of self-control. All you really need is situational awareness of the world these days. Just look around, spend about an hour a day paying attention to what somebody might be trying to do to you. Don't get caught up in all the details. And then spend the rest of your day doing some productive stuff. Figure out what you need to do and do it. It feels good. And once you've figured out the problem and you're working on a solution, it feels good. So that's what I've done is I've disciplined myself to instead of paying attention to all the problems is I'm focused on how these things get started. The other thing about how I start things is I look at it as, well, is anybody else doing it? You know, that's, that was my products that I sell. There is no, my products are unique. And so nobody else is doing it. Midfest, nobody else was doing it in the middle of the country having a Liberty Festival. Now we got one. Nobody was doing an agorist dot market that was functional. You know, there was agorist nexus, but it had kind of fallen into disrepair. And another one that Alma started that had kind of, fallen into disrepair. So there wasn't a place where I could list my agorist business. So it's like, well, okay, I've been doing websites for about three decades. I can do that. And so I put up a website and started uh, Midfest saying, hey, look, there's going to be a Liberty Festival. Nobody's in charge, you know, just show up and have fun, you know, and it's kind of like Fork Fest, you know. So uh, that's how that uh, got started. But it's a matter of just taking action, do stuff that nobody else is doing. And it also, I've found it inspires people to do things, you know, like Agris Nexus wasn't really doing much, but once I got Market going, now the Agris Nexus project kicked into gear again. And so next thing I know, we're there operating and we're both cross-listing each other, you know, and it's not a competition. I mean, this is just all about freedom. And uh, so that was good. And then more recently, I realized the problem of the uh, the fact that there's a whole lot of liberty content out there, you know. And James Corbett did a thing lately about the Library of Alexandria is about to be burned again, you know. And if all this stuff can disappear, I got to looking at it going, yeah, it can disappear. It's real easy. All you got to do is take down the domain name system, and it's gone, you know, for those particular websites. So, well, nobody else was doing it. I honestly didn't even know how to do it, but I'm an engineer. I've done things I didn't know how to do before, so this was just another one of those, and that was that. So, uh, yeah, problems, any focus on problems, limit that. Uh, it really helps. Focus on the solutions, stuff that nobody's doing. Inspire people, and you'll feel better. So on the next slide, we talk a little bit more about the things that I have started. What are the actions that I've taken and uh, my homestead, the business, Midfest, Agri-Stock Market, Web3 Only, all fall into that category. And Web3 Only inspired another project. Ernest Hancock had a project called uh, Pirate Box, which had really kind of 
you know, going anywhere right then. And once I got this going, next thing I know, Ernie's saying, hey, we need to partner up, you know. And so now we're sharing resources. And I got Thomas back there today who's really involved in that and other people. And so it's great. You know, these things, they, they energize and synergize. And it's just good stuff. So why did I do the Web3 Only podcast? Like I said, there was a threat. Uh, there was a possibility that people might not be able to access Liberty content or be able to publish Liberty content. So that wasn't being addressed. And to me, it seemed like, damn, this is one of the biggest problems of today. You know, why isn't anybody else working on this? Well, I'll do it then if nobody else is. And so that's how uh, that got started. And, uh, you know, we could literally wake up tomorrow. There's a thing called a domain name system. It's like the Internet phone book. When you type in domain.com, whatever, it goes to this phone book, and it then actually sends you to an IP address, which is some numbers and dots that you'll never remember. And those are, uh, you know, the, the real address of the page you're going to. Well, you can delist a website from the domain name system. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's a list of domain names, Freedoms Phoenix and, you know, uh, Live Free Now. I mean, all these, I'm sure they got them on a list. And one day you're going to wake up and all of those websites, when you type in the domain name, you're going to get nothing. It ain't there unless you know how to get to it some other way. And so that's why the domain name system is such a critical part of addressing this problem. Now, also, uh, the websites exist on web host servers, and those can also be attacked. They can be coerced. They can be physically attacked. You can you know, send a Hellfire missile there, as Ernie likes to say. So that's all why I did it. You know, so that's the problem. Now let's talk about the solution. So... Most people don't think of, well, what's the structure of these these uh, systems? Well, the one you're most used to, when you go to a website, you're dealing with a centralized system. You're going directly through a particular server for all of that information. And if that information is being posted by other people, then you may have a source like is shown in the diagram, and then you're off over on the other side. But there's a hub in the middle. All you got to do is take out that hub. Wipe the domain name from the, from the DNS system, it's gone. You no longer have access to that source or even that website. Now, decentralized means instead of one hub, you got a few or maybe several hubs. But you still have hubs, and the hubs are the weak spots. And all you got to do is go around and take out those servers or even a few key servers and the decentralized system is gone, you know? They're very weak. Most people think, oh, decentralized, that's the future. No, I'm sorry. Decentralized is not the future. The future is the thing on the right, distributed networks. Imagine a fishnet. Your source of your information is all the way over on the other side of that fishnet, and you're on this side of the fishnet. Now imagine how many paths through that fishnet there are for the information to get from the source to you. And it's, it's almost countless. You can't block that. There, you can't block enough nodes to be able to stop that unless you cut the whole net in half. And yeah, that'll do it. 
But the thing is, the powers who should not be and all their crony big corporations and their business systems and everything, they depend on the Internet. They're not going to do that because it's too harmful to themselves. So on the next slide, we talk a little bit about, you know, centralized networks and the single hub. But, you know, all the websites like BitChute, Minds, even Odyssey.com, if you're getting your videos from Odyssey.com, in spite of the fact it's built on the backbone of a distributed network, Odyssey.com can go away overnight. It's a domain. So how are you going to feel? You know, how much liberty content do you access through domains? And how are you going to feel when that day comes after the great liberty website purge and it's all gone? All gone. Think about it. That's the real threat model. And people just don't think about it, and they need to, because that's, that's coming. I really believe it's coming. So next, a little bit about decentralized networks. And really, it's more of a mop-up operation, but they can do that, block those multiple hubs. And systems that use decentralized systems are like Element, or it used to be called Riot. That's a federated is another term they use for it, but that's a decentralized system is, uh, uh, you know, Element, uh, Mastodon, Gab. You know, there's a few of them out there, but they are they have vulnerabilities. The servers can be attacked, and so that's not the answer either, really. So if, when we consider on the next slide the distributed systems, uh, it's very hard to take those down entirely. Not entirely impossible, but it's very hard. It's the most robust thing we've got right now. And there are two primary widely used distributed networks out there. The first one is the LBRY through the app. If you're accessing through odyssey.com, you're going through a domain name, they can turn it off tomorrow. But if you have the app running on your you know, mobile device or your computer, you're communicating directly with that distributed directly to a node. So it can't be blocked. That, that's the beauty of taking that approach. And then the other really widely distributed system in use today is the IPFS or interplanetary file system. And that is a, a very strong system. It's, there's millions of nodes out there. On my nodes alone, I, I, the other day I saw 1,200 peers. My node was connected to 1,200 other nodes at that moment. Think about this. It's like that fishnet, but instead of four little pieces of string tied to the knot, 1,200. Man, how are you going to stop that, you know? So that's IPFS and why it's so powerful. Now, the LBRY network is a distributed network, but it depends on you running the app. And one of the problems that LBRY and Odyssey have been experiencing, you may have noticed, is there's a lot of buffering going on. The videos aren't loading real fast sometimes. And that's because I think there's a lot more people starting to use odyssey.com and not as many people using the app. So the app, you need to run the app, support the network. It'll be faster. You're, you're contributing to this project by running the LBRY app on a PC, and that makes it stronger. Now, one thing about LBRY, it's not a solution for publishing websites. So we're going to talk about IPFS next. 
and it can be used to host a website. And, you know, it's, it's really an interesting setup because, okay, let's say you publish something over here. Well, the next person or the first person that views it over there, all along the path between the source and the viewer, uh, it leaves copies of itself, all little bits and pieces of it here and there. No complete website, just bits and pieces here and there. It's called seeding, and it seeds it when the first person views it. And then another person views it, and it gets seeded some more. Well, if you can imagine what it's like when a whole bunch of people decide to access that, instead of getting slower like the regular Internet, it gets faster. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, so that's the really the, the beauty of IPFS is it's, it's geared toward a lot of traffic. And that's what we need because we want a lot of people viewing Liberty content, right? So, okay, next slide. Uh, how do we assure our ability to access all this content that's out there on IPFS? Well, there is an Android app that's really quite good. There's a fellow named Remmer who developed this thing. He's done a great job. I kind of helped him with some beta testing. And uh, it's called IPFS Lite, and you can get it on F-Droid. It's an open source project, so it's on F-Droid, and it works. It connects you directly with nodes in the nodal network. It doesn't provide any data storage, but you are directly connected with the nodal network. You're not going through ipfs.io or dweb.link. You're connected directly to the nodal network, so it can't be stopped. Now, on PCs, uh, you have a few options. The most obvious and easy option Oh, and I forgot to mention, this slide deck is available online if you want to download it. Go to agorist.market and select Freedom Posts in the main menu. And it's the top item that you'll find listed there on Freedom Posts. Those are all things that I've written. That's where I put stuff. It started with my Freedom Agenda 21 at the beginning of the year. It's kind of like for people thinking about New Year's resolutions and stuff. And that's a really good paper if you haven't read it. But that's where you can get the slide deck. And uh, so on PCs, the way that you get access to the IPFS network is you download the IPFS de uh, desktop. And the desktop is a graphical user interface. It's easy to install. It's easy to run. And that gives you your own personal node. So now you have something to connect to the network through. Then in a browser, you, uh, you uh, access that. Now the other way to get IPFS node set up is a thing called Go IPFS. And for you more techie people out there that like command line stuff, that's the thing for you. The only difference is it doesn't have its own built-in user, uh, graphical user interface. So for that, you go to your browser and you go to a thing called Web UI. You can find out about more about that on IPFS.io. And that gives you access uh, to a graphical user interface. And it looks like the next slide is the status screen of IPFS. And in the uh, upper right corner, you'll see a little blue kind of cube-looking icon thing. That's the IPFS icon. And if your node is working, you'll see a number there on that little icon. That's how many nodes you're connected to, how many peers you have in the network. So, and then you can see the activity, you know, how much incoming, outgoing traffic on your node. 
And uh, so that's what that screen is, but it looks exactly like what's in the IPFS desktop graphical user interface, but it's just in a browser. So on the next page, after you've got the desktop set up, then you need to be able to access this stuff through a browser. So you set up a thing called IPFS Companion in the browser. Now, uh, Brave, you might have heard about Brave's IPFS integration. It's not very good. It accesses directly through IPFS.io or dweb.link, which can be turned off tomorrow. So that's kind of pointless. Plus, it makes it complicated to get uh, IPFS companion set up. And I've tried to talk people through it. It's a pain. So I've just gotten to the point where I say, don't do this on Brave. Do it on uh, Firefox uh, without Tor, just plain Firefox. Or you can do it on any Chromium browser. You just go to the Chrome store, the extensions, and you can download and install the IPFS companion there. And then you've got a way to directly access through your node all the content that's out there on the IPFS distributed network without having to go through any domain names which might have been turned off. There's another way also, and uh, Thomas is here, and he's been working on the pirate boxes. And a pirate box is just a little Raspberry Pi that's already got all the nodes set up, the browser set up, the companion set up. It's got a Liberty Library. It's got bookmarks to the IPFS uh, uh, website directory. So it's kind of a... Uh, as close to a grandma adjust thing as you're going to get. You buy this thing, it arrives in the mail, you plug it in, hook up a monitor, keyboard, and a mouse to it, and you've got your IPFS access. So that's that's a slick thing, and it's going to be available soon, and you'll see information posted on freedomsphoenix.com. There will be some kind of a link there on the main page is what Ernie said. So. There you go. It will be obvious. So... Okay, uh, websites. What do you do to try and get a website on IPFS? First of all, there are a few things you need to do to make your life easier uh, so it'll actually work. One is if you have any scripts on the page, the scripts all have to be contained within the website. If it's calling to scripts that are elsewhere on the server, this will be broken. So you need your uh, your all your scripts that the website uses to be internal to the site. Also, any of the site links have to be to within the site not to HTTP, whatever, because that's going outside the site and coming back through a domain name. You need it to be internal, relative links, and uh, web geeks will know what that means. And then there are subdomains. In a subdomain, you'll see addresses that go like subdomain.domain.com or whatever. And uh, subdomains really complicate getting the website to work in IPFS. So if you can avoid those, it really helps. And I want to thank also Derek uh, S. He's been really helpful in teaching me because I've just learned all this stuff. You know, I needed people to learn from him, and he's been a great guy. I really appreciate Derek for his help teaching me stuff. Hopefully I've been a good pupil. So media is a big issue for a lot of websites. A lot of the media that is in websites is completely inaccessible on IPFS because there's no links there that can be imported, really, because you're going to someplace else 
that's not really set up where you can get direct access to the MP3 or MP4 file. So instead, what you can do is provide a LBRY link that can be used in the LBRY app. Uh, they begin with LBRY colon slash slash, but just stick that on your page. Then people can copy that, paste it into the LBRY app, and you have access to this to the content. Now, another way to do it is upload that file, that media file, to IPFS, and now you've got an address to that. And then use that in the web page. You can even embed players that use that. And now you've got something that is going to connect to the media so that on the IPFS version of it, the link is active to the media. And that is a problem with a lot of websites because they're set up with YouTube or whatever. And, and those just don't work. And Oh, yeah, it saves a lot of money, too. If you're a web uh, site uh, publisher, uh, one of your biggest expenses is probably your media server where you're having to pay to post stuff on a media server. Well, you can just kiss all that expense goodbye by putting it on IPFS because IPFS is free. So, you know, that's a big plus. And smaller files helps. And also the Pirate Box project. Got a fellow named Ray who developed a video compression tool that helps us get those video sizes down so that they aren't a problem for uh, being slow and for consuming too much space on other people's nodes where they're trying to pin all your content. Now then, the basic process for publishing to IPFS is, uh, first of all, you have to create what is like a domain name. It's the interplanetary name system address. And so you create this address, and it stays the same. It doesn't change. It's not something that you're going to remember, so you have to bookmark it. But, but that's like your domain, but it's free. And so then you have the website all in one folder, and you just upload that folder to IPFS. And it's published, okay? Now, getting everything into that folder is, you know, something we're going to talk about in a minute. But once you've got it there, you publish it to IPFS, uh, and then you push that over into your IPNS address. You basically, it's like it's like publishing it there, and uh, and and it's done. It's really just a couple of steps. And this, this can even be, uh, in fact, I've automated it. I've got a whole lot of little programs that I've written for a whole bunch of different websites that you can download and publish them yourself. Uh, and then you do just repeat it again after updates. Now, I said getting it into the folders, uh, into the sing single folder, like it was easy or something, but trust me, it is not sometimes. Because most of the websites out there are uh, WordPress, which is a content management system, and it is, uh, it's called dynamic content management system. Now, what that means is every time you access a page on WordPress, that page is brand new. It never existed before that moment. Every time you view the page, it gets a new timestamp. Everything is new. So if you're publishing to IPFS and you only want to publish the new stuff, well, I'm sorry, if it's WordPress, you get it all. You're going to have to load, download the whole website. Now, with Lou Rockwell, who's been putting up huge numbers of articles for 30 years, 
His site has over 800,000 pages on it. Every time you publish his website, it's over 800,000 pages. It takes like five or six days. So uh, that's a big issue. And uh, you end up with obsolete page accumulation, which consumes a lot of space on your node, and then you got to do maintenance on your node in case you start running out of space. And so uh, WordPress sites have challenges. Uh, I have had some help figuring out how to do the importation. There's a fellow named Saheed who's been helpful and just kind of pointing me in the right direction of what tools to use. And then a fellow named Deacon who's also been really helpful on how to use those tools. So that's, that's all good stuff. But if you're going to publish a WordPress website to IPFS, uh, this is not something that, you know, you're going to be able to do if you don't have some, some skills. I mean, and I'm trying to figure it out, make it all easy, you know, teach people what I've learned. And that's usually the best teacher is somebody who's learned it recently because they still can kind of communicate with people who don't understand it at all. And so, but you're going to need an expert, uh, but we're growing some experts out there. And all the websites on the IPFS website directory, there is a, or most of them, there's a program there that the uh, technical support can use to look at for examples. You know, how do you do this? Uh, the next kind of website is a thing called uh, a headless CMS. And what that just means there's no processing that goes on when you view the page. The page is already there. Uh, when the uh, content provider updates the website, uh, it's still database-driven, but it just creates the new pages that are needed for the new content. And the, and the pages already exist before you go there to get them. So when you publish that website, instead of it grabbing every single HTML page in the website, it just grabs the new ones, just a few of them. It's, it's just a whole lot faster. It's a much better content management system. If you need a database-driven content management system, I encourage you to look this direction on these things. Uh, and some of the names that uh, Romero, Romero Romani, He's the one that turned me on to these kind of content management systems recently. I'd never heard of them, you know, but but he says, oh, yeah, there's ones out there. And he, he mentioned uh, Gatsby and Hugo and Jekyll, apparently, among others. Now, the next slide is the simplest way to do a website of all. It's just a static HTML website. It's the old way of doing things, like I started doing websites 30 years ago. It's still the way I do websites because I cannot stand WordPress because I feel like I'm too constrained. And also every time or often when they do an update to the WordPress thing, now you're having to change your website to keep up with the changes and you're just you're not in control of your destiny. So I couldn't run fast enough from WordPress uh, and I've stuck with HTML all these years. And for editors, the open office HTML editor is called Bluefish. And it's a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, editor. So one pane shows what the page is actually going to look like. And the other page shows the code. Now, for a lot of people, the code is kind of scary. But trust me, after you use it a while and you see what's happening with the code when you make the changes down here, next thing you know, you're making the changes up here in the code and watching what happens watching what happens in the uh, WYSIWYG. So it, it's really the best way to go for publishing on HTML, but it's uh, 
it has its limitations. If this doesn't get it for you, I recommend the headless CMS systems is the way to go. So, next we have uh, support. Okay. When a uh, website publisher put, puts up an update, uh, that update just exists on their node, like I described earlier. And so what you need are supporters who are going to pin all that content on their node. And if you, you know, you set it up, you can do that, then you pin it again, and you pin it every time that it changes. And what that does is, uh, most importantly, it protects all the archive material, because the archives, archive stuff is not getting uh, access near as much. And so, in order to preserve the archive stuff, uh, this is a really important thing. If, if you're the kind of person who's going to set up an IPFS node, and you want to support your favorite content providers, uh, underneath each of the listings in the IPFS website directory, you'll find a link to the instructions on how you can pin that website uh, to your node. So support your favorite content providers by doing that. It's huge. It really is. And let's see. Here's a partial list of all the websites on IPFS. There's some new ones up this week, like uh, badquaker.com, Ben Stone's site. He's on there now. And we've got uh, Geoengineering Watch. Just got put up and it didn't make the list. But, yeah, nice long list of things here. There's Live Free Now Show. There's the Conscious Resistance. Uh, uh, lots of good websites there. And it's, and it's growing. So that's that's good stuff. Uh, maybe most of them, but I'm looking for help. But you know, I really need other people to do this because uh, there's just not enough of me. That's yeah. Anyway, uh, so all this is important and urgent. These are we're trying to protect the Library of Alexandria from getting burned again here, folks. This is serious business. We got to do this, or you're not going to have squat for liberty content on the internet. That's how important it is, really. And so, first of all, install the library app on your PC. Support LBRY, because if LBRY is out there, you're going to get to all these Live Free Now shows and Conscious Resistance shows and all these shows that are getting published on IPFS. It's important. Then establish your assured connection to IPFS, you know, get the IPFS Lite app on your phone, on your Android phone, Instore, install IPFS desktop on your PCs, you know, uh, get, get your access established before it's too late, because after the big purge, it's going to be a lot harder because the websites where you downloaded the program to be able to do all this stuff could be gone, so you got to do it now, don't wait. Because if you wait until after the fact, well, it just may be too darn late. So the other thing, website pro content producers, uh, you know, there are things you can do to improve your sites. You know, put up the links to the LBRY and to the IPFS version of your medias. Uh, all the other things that I mentioned earlier, you know, there are site improvements that really need to be done. And I'm more than happy to visit with people about 
what does that mean, you know? And if I can talk to the people who are a little more, a little more technically involved with the thing, that really helps. So we can talk geek together. Uh, and we need more people. We need more people doing this, you know. I, I'm, you know, not going to be able to uh, put all the websites out there. There's just too many of them. Uh, I, that's why I've put the examples in the website directory so other people can look at those and go, oh, okay, that's how you do it. And, and I am preparing to do a video for the geeks out there on how you write these programs to produce these things. So uh, we need more people doing this. And we also need people to support these websites. You know, pinning these websites to your node is just huge. It's absolutely huge. If you don't do that, the access could be to could be gone to all the archive content because it hasn't been seeded on the network. So that's also very important and urgent, you know. And that's and that's, that's what we need to do. We need to do. We need to do. The bottom line is, together we can assure that the Library of Alexandria doesn't get burned down again. So. Uh, let's do this. Once again, the presentation is at agorist.market Freedom Post. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for rolling with the punches there. Great work, my friend. Mike's doing a high five. High five. All right. Very nice. Mike is doing great work, and I think a lot of folks, uh, you know, it's hard to understand exactly how important the work he is uh, doing. I hope folks can hear me. You guys, you guys doing okay down there, Derek? Okay. Okay, so they are having a good time down there in Mexico, and... We're having a good time here in Austin, and we are going to try to get our next person up. And in the meantime, we're going to have a great time. So again, you know what Mike's doing, for some folks that may seem over their head, right? I just did this crypto workshop, and I tried my best to make it as simple as possible. But still, this is like really crazy stuff we're talking about. It's like next level cutting edge. But it's so critical and so important because in essence there is a massive book burning going on, right? Back in the day, before all the digital stuff, they, the Nazis would literally, and it's not just the Nazis, it happens in this country too. And in fact, there's still books that are censored now. And now that we have this whole woke thing taking over, they're censoring other books that even share some of the blemishes in Americans, America's history. But it would like literally be a book and you take it and you throw it on a pile and you burn it. And now that everything's digital, it's actually easier to censor than a physical book burning. I would hope at least nowadays if there was physical book burnings going on, people would be like, wait a second. Although maybe I give too much, put too much faith in my fellow human beings. But it's really easy to just scrub it. And the importance of having this discourse and this conversation is it allows a marketplace of ideas. And when that marketplace of ideas flourishes, People have more access to information so they can formulate their own opinions rather than being spoon-fed their opinions by the mainstream media, much like we saw in Derek's documentary. So really, at the end of the day, 
it's easy to censor on big tech. It's easy to just pull a DNS, a DNS domain name server, just pull someone's website so it's no longer accessible when you go www.freedomsphoenix.com. That's a target. He's backed up over there, old Ernie. So the work that Mike's doing is, is absolutely pivotal and important for us to keep this information out there because our movement and our networks are growing substantially and we need to be able to convey this information and share it with people. And the beauty of this new type of activism, not really new, but it's different than what most people are used to. I think a lot of people prefer to complain and like just go vote every four years. And then if they're really hardcore, they go vote every two years. They're really doing good work. They vote in the school board election, really bringing about some change with that one. But this new brand of activism that we try to convey with the Greater Reset and all of our various work is to be the change. So we have a problem, identify the problem, understand the problem. But rather than trying to attack the problem head on, we just create a better alternative, right? So rather than going to try to sue Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, one of my friends, God bless him, reached out. He's like, I think it's by time we go protest at Facebook's headquarters in Austin, Texas. And I was like, nah, why don't we just encourage people to use Float, float Float.app, one of our sponsors of this program. So it's just about building the alternative. We don't need to bother our time over there doing that stuff. Let's just do something better. All right. How you guys doing over there, Derek? Will it help you guys if I turn my mic off? All right. Okay. Okay. It's going to keep on talking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So, I mean, yeah. Does anybody have any questions for Mike or about what Mike just talked about here in the local audience? Well, okay. Okay, yeah, what's your question? Come on up. If you'll introduce yourself and then share your question with the audience. My name's Christica, and I'm curious if... If they do take off all these websites, would I only be able to access them with the LBRY? Like you would have to go in there in order to access them? Does that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the answer is uh, LBRY is good for media content. There's videos, there's audios, there's a few images, but not websites. So LBRY is half of the answer. But the other half is if there's a website that you want to go to that has articles and stuff like that, it's going to be on the IPFS uh, access that you establish. And also, we'd like to get a lot of the video content on the IPFS, but uh, there are connection issues with getting that hooked up into the IPFS version of the website. So I see the two complementing each other. I'm really hoping to see the website uh, content producers providing the links, the LBRY dot slash slash link to the image or to the media file, and also post the video onto IPFS 
or the audio, whatever it is. And also, once it's on IPFS, well, there's no reason why uh, LBRY couldn't just get it from there. Float can get it from there. Everybody can just get it from there. Poor Donna over here shouldn't be uploading anything more than once. And, uh, you know, once she uploads to IPFS, the, the video for the show of the day, she can just dust off her hands and go do whatever she'd rather be doing instead of also loading it up on four other platforms. So that's huge. Can you, can you answer, like, practically, though, for just a lay computer user, how do they access the IPFS network? What do they do on their computer? How is it different from just pulling up a Brave browser and accessing the normal Internet? Okay. Uh, on your browser... Uh, you'll be accessing through an IPFS node that you set up. So first, the first step is to get that accomplished, and that's that IPFS desktop program that I mentioned a while ago. Uh, you go to ipfs.io, you download the IPFS desktop for your whatever kind of operating system you're running, Windows, Apple, Linux, whatever, and now you've established a node and that means you have a way to communicate directly with the nodal network. Then you install in your browser an extension or plugin called IPFS Companion. Uh, don't use Brave Browser because it's too complicated. Uh, use Firefox without Tor or use a Chromium-based browser. Those seem to work the best. And once you've got that in place... Uh, uh, you will have a connection directly through your node to the nodal network. So then if all the domain names get turned off, you still have your access. And if you want a really easy way, if you're running an Android phone, go to FDroid, install the IPFS Lite app, and it will do the same thing. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Get up for Big Mike, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Swatek. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. All right. Excuse me for looking at my phone. I'm not checking Facebook or anything. I'm trying to communicate with Z Watanejo, Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Oh, 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 oh. So I would like to uh, just take a moment to invite folks. If you want to learn about cryptocurrency, another decentralized and distributed technology, I put together 17 and a half hours worth of content explaining exactly what it is, why it's valuable, how to use it, how to get a wallet, how to purchase cryptocurrency, how to purchase cryptocurrency privately. You could do that you at cryptoandprivacy.com. That's cryptoandprivacy.com. So if you want to spend some time with me, we also have a community group that you get access to uh, really trying to help onboard people into this world because through my consultations since 2017, I've been doing one-on-one -on -one consultations with folks. Uh, I recognize that a lot of this stuff is really difficult to understand. So what I'm trying to do, what Mike's trying to do, what Ernie's trying to do, what many others of us are trying to do that have a firm grasp on what it is that we're dealing with and how to get onboarded. We're trying to make it easier for people to gain access to this technology because there really is a lot of opportunity for freedom and good with this technology. And there's no reason why there's anyone that shouldn't be taking advantage of that, whether it's protecting your wealth. If you've managed to amass a little bit of wealth or a lot of wealth, more power to you. Uh, 
if you have it in dollar-backed assets or dollar-based assets or money in the savings account or whatever, then you're losing value, essentially being stolen from with the inflation tax. And, and that's not good because that money is being used to finance foreign wars of aggression. But if you put that money in cryptocurrency, a digital asset that isn't backed by a government – that isn't inflated, some of them are inflated, but most of them have a hard cap on the number of units, right? There is no hard cap on the number of dollars. They're just cranking them out like crazy. In fact, they added, what, like 60% of the money supply or something just in the past couple of years has been added. Absolutely ridiculous. And again, the more money that gets added, if you use that money, it means your money is now worth less. It's just a classic supply and demand situation. So you get onboarded into this cryptocurrency ecosystem and you can protect your wealth. You can grow your wealth. Not only that, earlier I was like, we were all idealistic. Bitcoin's going to end the central banks. And then the central banks were like, not so fast. We're going to create our own kind of Bitcoin. And we're going to use it to track and trace every single transaction. We're also going to create an environment where we can switch off your ability to do business. I heard some NPR store and they're like, central bank digital currencies. Wouldn't it be great to be able to give your children money at college and make sure they only spend it on books and food? Right. And that's like, oh, that sounds great. But then it's like, and if you visit the wrong websites or spend too much time looking at Mike Swatek's work or Live Free Now show or the conscious resistance, you won't be able to spend your money here or there either. Like, this is what's being set up. And the irony is there's a lot of people that are like, ooh, cryptocurrency bad, cryptocurrency mark of the beast. Right. I read an article by whatever so and so that doesn't understand it fully. The irony is that it's cryptocurrency that can enable us to navigate around that system and to circumvent that control system. Because like Mike was saying with IPFS, the same thing goes with cryptocurrency nodes. There's so damn many of them out there that even if the government wanted to shut them down, they couldn't, right? Now, sure, they could pass a law and say it's illegal to run a Bitcoin node or a Monero node or a cryptocurrency node in this country. But we are free, sovereign people, and sometimes you just have to take a stand and say, you know what? No, we are going to run the damn nodes, and you guys can kiss my behind if you think we're going to stop it. And there's enough of us that are going to run these nodes where you just can't stop it, and you're overwhelmed, right? So it's a very beautiful thing, and I just really try to convey how fundamentally game-changing the technology that we now have is. And it doesn't just stop there with private transactions or protecting your wealth. You can take it a step further. We're going to be hearing from Cordal, these guys that are creating a decentralized blockchain, very decentralized. It's like a people's blockchain. There's some elements of Bitcoin that are getting a little Wall Street, which is good for the price, right? But not so good for freedom and privacy. But there's other cryptocurrencies and other blockchains. And now there's technologies that enable us to, as human social animals, Sometimes we need to make decisions as groups decisions and as groups. Decisions. decentralized and autonomous organizations. That's them trying to connect, but they have an issue. Hey, uh, if you guys wanted to join, I did the other day on my smartphone whenever we were having trouble. I was like walking through the hallways. Check out this beautiful venue. Man, you know, we are, uh, you can tell we're grassroots, right? We're not corporate, we don't have any corporate sponsorships. We do have some sponsors, though, like Float.app, Autonomy, doing great work. But uh, we're doing our best to rock and roll.
Well, come on. Come on up. Come on up, Ernie Hancock. Ernie Hancock's going to be presenting tomorrow on Intentional Community. All right, Mexico, I'm monitoring my Telegram chat. If you guys need to communicate with me or we need to figure some stuff out on the fly. All right, this is Ernest Hancock, Freedom Phoenix. This guy's old school. I call him the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the Liberty community. He's been doing stuff since the early 90s, this guy. But he's still young at heart. Look at this guy. Real quick, I just want you to understand that I hate, my kids hate when I say this. I don't think I know I know. You know, I mean, after a while, you start to figure out what's going on. What we knew was going to happen was that data content and content providers in 09-10, right after the Ron Paul Revolution, right after the Ron Paul Revolution happened, uh, they started doing content uh, elimination or shadow banning, or they would say 450 views on YouTube and on my site, that same you know uh, uh, video was getting viewed thousands of times. And I go, oh, those lion sacks of snot. You know, we can see what was coming. So I, there was another um, product that's still in development that may come out called MadeSafe, M-A-I-D-Safe.net. And it was the idea of what we're talking about with IPFS, and it may still come out. Still come out. But the, uh, uh, what we knew is that we needed something like that. When they did a fundraiser for it, like 13 or something, they raised seven million dollars in like five hours. Boom! It was the biggest, you know, freaking online crowdsourced funding of neon. I told you so. I had the guy on from True Scotland. I didn't know they were still broadcasting. You know, from True Scotland about this, we understood what it meant. It meant that whistleblowers in sight could put content up that couldn't be eliminated. Now, what the goal was was to make People that would store the data, you would get paid in crypto for storing it and for disseminating the data. Then Filecoin came, and IPFS was a byproduct of Filecoin, and that was the and that was the biggest ICO, like three hundred million dollars a weekend or a month or whatever it was, something ridiculous. And the reason was is because it demonstrated the free market support for decentralization of storage of data. So that's what I wanted to show. Is that look, I'm telling you. Big giant freaking oh my god market. So how come you guys aren't doing it? So when they came out with this IP, I didn't even know it was associated with Filecoin at the time because uh, Derek Sopi with you know, Aggregate Posting, Mike was talking about, you know, helped a lot of this. He uh, told me, he said, Ernie, everything you're talking about, decentralization of data, higher communications, all that stuff, they have this IPFS thing. So we started looking at it and what happened. They go, but you can't monetize it because they just like Google AdSense, word clicking, you know, game the system, give me a bunch of crypto profile I put up, and they gave it to a bunch of my robots, you know, that kind of thing. So they go, but we haven't fixed that, and you can't monetize it. And I go, but it works, right? And they go, yeah, but you can't make money storing and disseminating the data. I go, are you crazy? You know how much money I would spend to be able to have where I could put something up and it never go away? I go, I'm all over that, you know, let's do that. So what happened, we started, uh, I do a show every week, I did it last night with James Corbett. So it's a Hancock Corbett thing we've been doing for years. And I go, you are definitely going to go. Freedom Phoenix, Pirates Without Quarters, Declare Your Independence, gotcha, all the lists, you know, that Mike had put up. And the thing was, is we go, look, if we store this data, we take the whole web page, 
that we are able to absorb it, put him up, Austin, all that, and it never be able to go away. When they deplatform, and that data is going to be available, and that's what happened. Now everybody wants to be our buddy now, but it takes people using it for it to be most effective, and that's what we're encouraging now. What Mike has set up all these as a demo. What uh, Thomas has set up with the pirate box to make it a cheap, easy, everybody can do it. Because what we're going to is internet three point kiss my ass, and there's nothing they can do about it. Give it up, Ernie Hancock, ladies and gentlemen. This dude's always always ahead of the curve. So this is all cutting-edge stuff, right? Just like talking about cryptocurrency 10 years ago, 8 years ago, it was cutting-edge. The Web 3.0 thing is going to proliferate all over, and you guys heard it here first. All right, so we're going to go ahead and introduce our next speaker. Super excited to have him. This guy's a libertarian and voluntarist, but above all that philosophical, Stuff. He's a doer. So we're so grateful that within this community, we have folks that not only understand these concepts, but more importantly, are doing really big things about them. So on top of being a blockchain enthusiast, he's also involved in the People's Rights Organization, which is Eamon Bundy's outfit. There's a lot of overlap between the Freedom Cell Network and the People's Rights Organization. We'd love to bring Eamon on this stage. That sure would be cool. They're doing a lot of stuff in the realm of mutual aid. And one of the big projects that Colin is working on is called pre-search, right? So even in our community, when we want to tell someone to go learn about something, people often say, Google it. It's like its own term now. Try my best. Just to say, go search it or look it up, right? DuckDuckGo really sucks, actually. That's an alternative. Owned by Microsoft, I should say. Yeah. But Colin, Colin's working on a new search engine called pre-search, and it's blockchain-based and it's not co-opted by Bill Gates, and it's not Alphabet Incorporated. So we're going to learn all about what he has to offer the world, and we're so excited to have him as part of the Greater Reset. So let's take it away to Colin Pape. Hey, Colin, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Awesome. And uh, especially to be following up after uh, Ernie, uh, what an amazing guy. We are so lucky to uh, have him driving things forward and uh, all the amazing initiatives that he's uh, taken on uh, with Freedoms Phoenix and uh, uh, everything else, especially this uh, Pirate Box project. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, So, yeah, here to uh, talk a little bit about the future of search being decentralized and... uh, Going to go ahead and get started on a presentation here. So as uh, you probably know, search engines are, are super important. They are the gateway to the open web and uh, make search an incredibly powerful utility. And of course, it's really the number one activity. If you go on to similarweb.com and look to see uh, which website has the most traffic in the world, it is google.com. And uh, obviously, search engines help us out immensely, uh, helping us find all the information that we need. And there's really, you know, just this plethora of information, especially in 2021, millions and millions of websites, billions of web pages. And there needs to be kind of some way to make sense of that. Uh, otherwise, all this content would be kind of inaccessible and, uh, and undiscoverable. Uh, so really, if you think about search engines, they're, they're kind of like explorers. They're kind of going out to all the corners of the web, looking for information, helping to make sense of it, and then returning it uh, so that when we type something in, you know, this super complicated process, 
that has happened on the back end returns us kind of a really simple interface with uh, the results that are relevant to what we're looking for. And so really, you know, they have become these guides that we ask our most kind of intimate, private uh, questions to. I, I heard at one point somebody said that, uh, you know, search engines are the new, uh, you know, priest in the confession box, if you think of it that way. Uh, you know, we're asking health questions, we're asking personal questions, and uh, there's just so much information, right? And it's, it's something that kind of through their uh, algorithms, the search engines are able to actually really determine definitely what we're seeing in the results, but also with things like autocomplete, they're actually leading us to the questions that we might ask, as well as uh, obviously kind of what we might even think. Uh, you may have seen some of the examples when you're, you're typing something in and it seems like a really weird suggestion. Uh, that is influencing what people are, are looking for and uh, the results, obviously, that they find. And so it's a huge responsibility, definitely one that brings tremendous power and influence. And yet lots of us are just not even thinking about kind of what's happening behind the scenes and, you know, are these people who are coding these algorithms and the people that are running these uh, organizations, are they aligned with us? Are they giving us the best guidance? Are they steering us in a direction as humanity that we should be going in? And uh, it's something that I've given a, a lot of thought to, and I don't think that any single search engine should have this uh, ability to really dominate the space in the way that Google has. Uh, as many of you know, for, for a lot of people, uh, Google is uh, equated with search. Uh, like, like you were just saying, it's, uh, you know, uh, Google it has become kind of uh, uh, how people refer to search now. And that's actually, you know, become kind of a, a challenge. Uh, and so, you know, we were just talking about the power of search, and that's really one thing. But then we've got this centralization issue uh, with Google in particular having more than 90% of the search market space, uh, especially between Google and, and YouTube, it's actually higher than that. Uh, they've got, you know, basically the number one, and, and now YouTube has become kind of the number two search engine in the world. A lot of people use Google, or sorry, use YouTube like they use search engines. Uh, they know that they want something, they want to find a, a video result, and so they go to YouTube. And so that puts them in this incredible position of power. Uh, not only do they have the, the two top search engines, they've also got the number one email service. Google has the number one mapping service, number one mobile operating system, number one web browser, number one ad platform. And there are other things as well that they uh, control. And so really what we've done is we, we've kind of had this single entity that has an effective monopoly on the Internet. Uh, they control the flow and the discovery of the information. They can block us. They can censor us. They can promote whichever content they wish. And so that is obviously a, a huge challenge, especially when some of us have been realizing that eh, maybe Google isn't this kind of, you know, quirky, friendly, uh, academic research project that they've portrayed themselves to be with the multicolored logo and the kind of goofiness and uh, the origin story, you know, coming from Stanford University. Uh, so it's, it's you know, as you start to, to see that maybe you're not necessarily on the same page, uh, it becomes potentially a, a greater kind of risk and, a, and of concern. 
Uh, and really, it's like our entire planet. We have put so much trust in this single company, and there's really not a whole lot of accountability. Uh, I, you know, they've kind of formally resigned, but uh, up until uh, you know a year or so ago, the, the founders of Google hadn't even bothered to show up at their annual shareholder meetings for the past three years. So there's really, you know, not even really an opportunity for their shareholders to hold them accountable, let alone the general public. And with the ties that they have to different kind of shadow organizations like the NSA and the CIA, uh, you just start to wonder, like, kind of what's going on under the hood. And obviously, it's concerning for a lot of people, particularly uh, this community and, and probably yourselves. And so really, I mean, that being said, like, what could go wrong? I mean, obviously, censorship, that's uh, one of the biggest things. Uh, it's kind of the origin story for pre-search. You know, we had a, a, a bunch of websites that uh, got blocked by Google. They were penalized and put onto page eight, even though we had, uh, you know, really rich, relevant content and we had relationships uh, with, you know, local prominent authorities and stakeholders that were helping us promote these sites. And, uh, you know, we woke up one day and found ourselves on page eight. And that really kind of got the wheels turning and, and made us realize just how much market power this one entity had when our traffic dropped 80% overnight. Uh, unfortunately, many people in, in the freedom and liberty movement have seen this firsthand deplatforming. You know, people are getting kicked off of YouTube. People are having their accounts shut down and they're being forced off of these platforms that have had kind of dominant and, and favorable uh, positions within Google search results. You know, if your uh, content's on YouTube, it's going to show up above, uh, you know, content that's on, on BitChute or content that's on uh, Odyssey because, you know, they're fully integrated. Uh, we've seen it, especially this year with, uh, you know, the COVID fiasco, all the, uh, the, you know, little labels and where they're putting warnings and things about controversial information and they're uh, promoting certain information that uh, is, is, you know, uh, aligned with their beliefs. Uh, and then we see actually, you know, there's been a lot of these kind of uh, examples of them removing different subjects from auto-suggest results, and you can do, like, comparisons between them and, let's say, DuckDuckGo or other search engines, and they're, like, completely different. And uh, so there's this ability, again, to really kind of influence the information that we have access to. Uh, of course, this one, you know, is something uh, that firsthand experience with limiting competition. So they do have the ability to basically determine really what other uh, players, what other resources are available on the internet, because they can limit, uh, you know, the success of different projects. And, and that's a huge risk for anybody uh, trying to publish content or run any kind of online business. I'm sure many of you know and have experienced it also. Uh, so, you know, they kind of have this ability to just continue promoting their own properties and uh, doing it to the detriment of everybody else. Uh, and then when you do start factoring in all the other things that they control, like in, in particular Gmail, 
because email still is is really you know one of the top communication mechanisms. It's uh, still kind of one of the more open platforms. Yet now Gmail has more than sixty five percent market share. And I don't know if any of you have experienced uh, what it's like sometimes trying to get through Google's uh, filters where they're pushing you into spam or they're pushing you into the promotions folder, uh, but they can very easily throttle competition uh, that way as well through their other properties. Uh, And, you know, what uh, we discovered kind of through our experience with Google back in 2011 was like how many thousands of competitors either never started or never got off the ground because they realized it's almost impossible to compete against these guys. And, uh, you know, what potential has been limited from the earth uh, by having all these different entrepreneurs with different viewpoints and different, uh, you know, interfaces and different data models that they might bring to the table that might have brought real value to our lives and maybe been more aligned with uh, our values as free humans but they just never really had an opportunity to, to get going because, you know, Google dominated the marketplace so much. So that's kind of, you know, uh, a, a real shame potentially. Uh, of course, you know, spying and tracking. They, your searches are tracked by default. Uh, some of you may have gone in and seen your Google history at some point, and it's, it's like the creepiest thing ever. Specifically, if you look at the location history under Google Maps, uh, you see that they, even sometimes when it's been turned off, they're following you everywhere and they are tracking your location everywhere. Uh, that is, uh, you know, definitely not conducive to uh, a free and, and private uh, human being. Uh, and then they have all this information from these different properties that they can combine uh, to build a profile on you, which, you know, enables them to do ad targeting at kind of a surface level. But I think many of us are questioning what other kind of targeting are they doing? Are, are they putting people on, you know, uh, red flag lists? Are there other things that are, are being done? And how easy would it be for that to happen with the technology and the market presence that they have? You know, it's not just on Google, obviously, and even those prominent services that are kind of front ends that you see. But now they've got the Google login embedded just about everywhere. This AMP, Accelerated Mobile Publishing Platform, which enables all the news websites to have faster results, but, you know, requires them to basically be served through Google. Uh, You know, AdSense and DoubleClick are installed as, as widgets on uh, basically, you know, every content website out there. Then you have Google Analytics kind of behind the scenes that are are always kind of tracking everything as well. Uh, so it is at this point just about impossible to avoid. And we really don't know what is actually being done with the, that uh, information. Uh, and then, of course, you know, kind of a hot button subject over the past uh, couple years and, and specifically the past year, the promotion of biased agendas. You know, they tout the mainstream narratives. They take positions on ideological subjects. They, you know, slam one group of people. They promote another. Uh, different politicians. We certainly saw that with the 2020 elections. Uh, and you know, they're constantly raising awareness uh, about their their favored issues, and then suppressing the dissenting voices. So it, you know, really has kind of set us up in this environment where we're actually working against ourselves, working against our own best interests by supporting this company and supporting all the tentacles. But they're so deeply entrenched, you know, it's it's tough to avoid. And so, uh, you know, looking at like, what can we do about that? How can we possibly come up with some different 
solutions to that. And, and, you know, how can we kind of band together and, uh, you know, get behind different platforms that are taking a stand that share our our principles and are trying to actually promote freedom and liberty uh, rather than, you know, this kind of dystopian police state social credit system future that is uh, on the horizon uh, approaching very quickly. If not, uh, I think in this past year been proven it's already here. Uh, So, you know, what, what can we do? You know, can feel daunting, definitely, but change is possible. Uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance yet, uh, you can go on Reddit. There's a, a community called uh, DGoogle. It's kind of a movement that's starting to build. You can pre-search that or uh, DuckDuckGo it or Google it if you want. Uh, but you'll find that there are millions of people that are actively taking steps to remove Google services from their phones, uh, switching to alternatives. And uh, it's it's pretty cool that uh, there's this growing awareness that's happening and uh, gives me hope and, and confidence for the future, of not just for myself and all of us, but, you know, the children, the children of the future that, you know, people are waking up and, and hopefully that's accelerating. So then, you know, how do you take action? Well, uh, in, in this case, and, you know, uh, this is going to be a bit of a biased presentation. Uh, uh, I, I hope uh, that's OK. Uh, but uh, obviously, a number of different search engines that uh, you can switch to. DuckDuckGo, they've got about 1.5% market share, uh, which is, is kind of the biggest of the alternative search engines. They've done you know, a good job of getting out there and, and hopefully offering private search. But uh, it, it is true that they are powered by Bing. And uh, they were funded by one of the most prominent venture capitalists in the world that has ties to a whole bunch of other organizations. Uh, You know, they're funded by large private equity groups. And so, you know, there's other things that are kind of at play there besides just, you know, the search engine. There are other ones that are, you know, maybe more benign things like Ecosia, which is a pretty cool service. Uh, You know, they take a portion of their uh, advertising revenue, and then they use it to plant trees. It's a, a pretty popular service and uh, uh, seems like they've got a pretty cool and, and open ethos. But again, also powered by Bing and using the Bing API, uh, you know, uh, kind of hard to know exactly what's what's happening there. Search engines like StartPage, which is a privacy search engine uh, and, uh, you know, seems to have a decent reputation. Uh, but really where we think that the future is is going is decentralized search. Uh, and so with PreSearch, which is a project that uh, I started in, in 2017, uh, we're trying to really bring this new model of search to the web. So as far as like, what does that mean? What is a decentralized search engine? Uh, it's grassroots. It's ground up. It's built by and for the community. Uh, we use user nodes to power the search results. It integrates blockchain technology, cryptocurrency to reward and engage the community. Uh, we have uh, community members that are, are curating results, uh, advertising platform without really compromise and uh, facilitating search choice and then respecting privacy with no tracking. That's kind of, you know, where we're at now and kind of the next phase. Uh, eventually, you know, where this could go is being like a uh, totally uh, kind of immutable and uh, uncensorable service, uh, something that's accessed through things like unstoppable domains or uh, EDNS, uh, ENS. 
starting to really uh, just, you know, overcome some of those uh, choke points that exist just on the general internet. Now, the thing about a search engine uh, right now is that all the content itself is still kind of subject to all those things. And that, so that's why things like uh, the, the Pirate Box project are so important because uh, it's taking, you know, copies of this kind of regular web content and putting it onto the IPFS system, which then becomes a lot more resilient and redundant and potentially accessible if, you know, the traditional internet uh, starts having clampdowns or, or different, you know, types of blockages. So there's some limitations right now. There, there isn't really like, a, a, in my view, the ability to do like a peer-to-peer search engine just yet. They, they actually do exist. There's one uh, called Yassi, Y-A-C-Y, that's been around for quite a long time and it's peer-to-peer and it's kind of cool technology, but because the content isn't there, it's really kind of limited in its functionality. So uh, most people aren't really able to actually use it. It's it's kind of more of a proof of concept, but things like that are coming and that's going to be super cool. Uh, so as far as like, how are we driven by grassroots community? Uh, a, we're definitely not located in Silicon Valley or really any one particular place. We have a distributed team, a distributed community. We're all over the place. We're not, uh, you know, funneling billions and billions of dollars every year into Mountain View, California, let's say. Uh, we're not funded by venture capital. We have uh, no uh, outside investors. Uh, basically, the project was kind of bootstrapped from the community. It was crowdfunded. People bought tokens that they could utilize within the system. And that has maintained the alignment uh, within uh, the, the uh, project. We're highly accessible. We're in frequent communication with the community, uh, primarily through Telegram. Uh, if anybody here ever wants to reach me, I'm just uh, Colin Pape, C-O-L-I-N-P-A-P-E is my username on, on Telegram. You can message me. We've got uh, t.me slash presearch is our main community. And we've always got people there. And, you know, we're taking feedback. We're taking criticism. We're uh, really kind of involved and connected to the community, not kind of hiding in this ivory tower like a lot of, uh, you know, other search engines. And so right now, because we're still a little bit in the early days of the project, you know, we're kind of on the path to community governance. We're not there yet, but we're, you know, learning from all the great things that are happening within the blockchain space. And we envision a future where uh, it is fully governed by the community, which uh, is really exciting. Uh, as far as how the, the search nodes work, uh, so this is basically uh, using decentralized infrastructure. We're leveraging the computing resources that are provided by community members. It handles search queries right now. We're currently basically operating like a meta search engine. So, you know, a query comes in and then we're hitting all these different search engines. We're hitting databases, APIs, and then kind of recombining that information under our own algorithm uh, in the future. Uh, we'll be incorporating our own uh, fully decentralized index that is curated by the community that kind of layers on top of it. And basically the approach that we're taking is, you know, leveraging these third party services uh, anonymously on behalf of all the users uh, in order to handle kind of the long tail of search, which is really the, the big challenge. You know, you get all these really random queries. You got to have answers. And it's uh, a pretty daunting uh, challenge. Uh, so 
as a query comes in, it basically gets anonymized by a, a, what we call a node gateway. It then distributes the queries out to a bunch of nodes. Kind of the winning node basically has gone and got the, the uh, anonymized query results. It sends it back and then a reward is provided in the form of a pre-token to the node operator. And there's an opportunity to stake, uh, which can increase the node rewards. They do obviously participate in improving the platform. We're re we've got about 2,500 node operators, a little more than that, uh, in our Telegram community right now. And uh, we're working with them all the time to improve the service. And then they really do kind of uh, ultimately serve as a bit of a check and balance against decisions that the community doesn't support. If, you know, let's say a, a dumb decision was made uh, while we're not, you know, in full community governance mode and the node operators didn't support it, they can pull their service and then, you know, that becomes a huge challenge. And so there's kind of this way to, to hold the project accountable, which is important. Uh, obviously, it uses blockchain and crypto. Uh, so uh, right now, we're leveraging the, the pre-token to basically align the interests of searchers, node operators, the initial crowd funders, our team members, all the promoters. So everybody's kind of aligned around the same unit of value. It's not like we've got, you know, uh, people that have equity investments, people that are just trying to, you know, uh, leverage the system to uh, data mine and, and, you know, abuse the users. Uh, it it kind of really brings everybody together, which is, uh, I think, the, the real beauty of uh, using uh, a blockchain token within an ecosystem. Uh, the rewards are provided to uh, really incentivize the different actions to uh, stimulate growth of the ecosystem. And then as we go, we'll be leveraging blockchain more for the community governance side of things uh, and then also for the search results. So. Uh, you know, right now, uh, it's, it's more of, you know, a traditional database system, primarily due to, you know, speed and cost issues. But we see in the future as different blockchains evolve that there is potential to have this information in a blockchain, which is then openly uh, able to be accessed and explored by anybody. And you can start to then really kind of dive under the, the, the hood and see how things are working, see, you know, who has been curating results, who's been voting for things, what else have they been voting for, and just start really kind of building more of a holistic viewpoint on, you know, what's influencing different factors in the system, which right now is totally impossible with tradi traditional search engines. It's just a total black box. Uh, and then, you know, the kind of next step for us is, is full Web3 wallet integration and leveraging different blockchains uh, to access uh, the pre-token. Uh, and then what that's going to open up ultimately is the ability to have the ability to earn rewards without actually logging in with an email address, which is the current way that it's done. And it's kind of the more user friendly way. Uh, right now, but uh, eventually it'll be, you know, that much more anonymous, that much more private. I mean, you can use an anonymous email right now and nobody knows anything about anybody. And that's the way to do it if you're uh, looking for total anonymity uh, within pre-search, uh, although you can also use it without logging in and that's even more anonymous. But ultimately after that, you know, Web3 wallet and then it's 100% uh, in your control and totally anonymous. As far as how we envisioning the community curating results, uh, this is uh, we're, we're targeting a mainnet launch in uh, early fall uh, that is powered by the the user nodes, and then after that, we're really moving on to this uh, you know decentralized index and the ability uh, for community members to suggest results, to vote on results, 
and help to determine really what is relevant, how it should rank. And then kind of next step beyond that is actually enabling different participants in the ecosystem to, you know, use different algorithms and different data models, uh, contribute different UIs, uh, help, you know, adjust ranking factors to improve performance, and then, of course, be compensated for what they've done to improve the system. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, the blockchain obviously has uh, the ability to protect against abuse and bias. And uh, that's really kind of where we see the community members uh, coming in to, you know, again, hold the system accountable, ensure that it doesn't get overrun and help develop any new mechanisms that are needed to kind of, you know, constantly stay ahead of the curve, because that's obviously a, a big challenge. The uh, whole ecosystem is always evolving, and it's kind of a, a bit of a game of, of cat and mouse when you have people that are trying to uh, abuse the system. Uh, as far as, like, how it's all kind of tied together from an economic standpoint, we have uh, an advertising platform that we call uh, Keyword Staking, uh, was speaking with uh, the uh, people who are producing the, uh, the video uh, backstage before I came on, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're actually uh, keyword staking the term New World Order. So I will uh, encourage everybody to go and pre-search New World Order and then look at the very top result and then uh, give their uh, link a click. It will uh, take you over to grandtheftworld.com, which uh, has some uh, some pretty cool content on it. But that's a good example of how it works. And so uh, people basically take their pre-tokens, they stake them against a keyword, that enables their ad to, to be displayed. Whoever has the most pre-tokens against a given keyword gets their ad uh, shown. And kind of as that you know uh, happens, it's creating demand for the tokens that we're issuing as rewards to the node operators, to the searchers. And so that's really what kind of closes the loop on the token ecosystem. And again, what's beautiful is it keeps us all in alignment. We have everybody kind of acting more in the best interests of the system because they've kind of got two different uh, things that they're, that they're trying to maintain. One is, okay, yes, I want the traffic of my keyword stake, uh, but I'm also trying to ensure that the uh, value of pre-tokens doesn't decrease because I'm abusing the system. And so you've kind of got this, this interesting kind of commons model where uh, we have these, these multiple incentives to keep people aligned, which I'm really excited about. And what is cool as well is uh, unlike traditional advertising, which is just seen as kind of a nuisance because the user really doesn't benefit from advertising at all. It's, it's so disconnected. I mean, the profit that's generated from advertising, it goes to at most, you know, the uh, shareholders. Uh, but really, it's it's often just getting dumped into profits that are like sitting in an offshore account in Ireland or something. And so there's there's really kind of no incentive. But in this case, what we found is that a lot of the users are like, yeah, awesome. That person is keyword staking. They bought pre-tokens. They've created demand for tokens that I also am earning and hold. And so we're kind of tying all those uh, different groups together and uh, helping them to kind of move in alignment rather than be at odds with each other as they are in other systems. So that's pretty cool, I think. Um, obviously, from a decentralized, 
decentralization standpoint, we want to facilitate search choice. Uh, so, you know, we see pre-search as being a bit of a, you know, a layer uh, that can actually just facilitate all these different search engines and enable people to easily direct their query into any of these different uh, engines, preserve their actual user experience and and help those resources get traffic. And there's some really awesome new, uh, you know, decentralized content sites, for instance, that people can search through. And, uh, you know, we're excited to bring traffic to uh, all those different uh, entities and, and, you know, try to get connected with them and help them get more exposure. Uh, there's more than 100 different search engines you can choose from right now in the current UI. Uh, and, you know, we're trying to make it really easy so that you basically have like a federated search field. And then wherever you want to direct your query, you just click the link. It sends you out and uh, you've now got, you know, time and, and convenience uh, on your side. Uh, you can customize it to your liking. Lots of different ways that you can, uh, you know, choose different options and, and adjust your settings. There's a dark mode, light mode. Uh, there are apps and browser extensions as well, just trying to make it as easy as possible. And then something that is really exciting is that we have these open source uh, community packages. So if you go onto our GitHub, uh, github.com slash presearch official, you'll see community packages. And uh, anybody who uh, knows you know, HTML, JavaScript, they can basically build like kind of a knowledge panel that goes at the top of the search results that can get triggered by a different query. And so that is going to enable us to override, uh, you know, some of the bias that might still be found from some of the results that we're pulling uh, until we have, you know, a hundred percent full independent decentralized index. Uh, but it's a way for the community to basically participate and help to build out the features that they want to see and also to be rewarded for doing that work. So uh, excited about that. And then, of course, you know, respecting your privacy, not tracking you. We don't store your searches. We anonymize your queries. We distribute those uh, automatically so it's not tied to your IP address or anything like that. Uh, we don't run any trackers. We don't even have analytics. People say, oh, yeah, what, what about? We're like, actually, we don't know. We use external services like SimilarWeb to see, like, what does our traffic look like? Because we're not running Google Analytics. We're not running any, you know, analytics programs. Uh, there's no passive personalization where we're trying to like determine things about you and then serve different results based on, you know, things you've clicked on before. There's no profiling going on, uh, limited data, which is really important in the event of a compromise. There just isn't really anything for people to get. So, uh, that's super important. And then, uh, you know, no KYC requirements on the reward tokens that, that we distribute, uh, unlike some other platforms. And uh, that to me is super important. You know, what's the point of having a privacy, you know, search engine, a privacy browser uh, that's rewarding you. But then in order to get access to your rewards, you got to go through full KYC and, you know, take a picture of yourself and send your ID. It just doesn't jive. And so we're trying to really uh, do all this without invoking any of those uh, privacy infringing uh, moments kind of behind the scenes that people might not even realize until it's kind of at the end when they're trying to actually get their rewards. And of course, you know, high quality results. That's the, the end of the day. Uh, you know, super grateful to all of you who are already using pre-search as well as those who are going to give it a try. Uh, trying to just make it so that it's usable 
Uh, it's definitely, you know, uh, it's not going to be as as quick as Google, let's say, uh, because, you know, we're doing it in a decentralized way. We're distributing those queries out to, uh, you know, nodes around the world. Uh, but the actual result quality, we, we've uh, had a lot of really positive feedback on. Uh, the UI, a lot of people have uh, liked. And again, so what you're looking at right now with this Bitcoin uh, uh, community package is the ability for, you know, community members all over the place to build all these different UIs that could end up making the results on pre-search actually better than on other search engines because, you know, we could have tens of thousands of community members all building cool little uh, widgets that, that you know, they really deeply understand because they are power users uh, or they're, you know, enthusiasts around a certain thing. And we could end up with uh, some incredible results that rival the best in the world. So uh, appreciate your feedback and uh, everybody uh, who's already supported us. Thank you so much. Uh, and again, anybody who wants to get in touch, uh, hit me up on Telegram. That's the best way to get in touch. Uh, it, for now, how to get started, you can go to presearch.org. Uh, if you want to earn rewards, you can go and you can create an account. That enables you to start accumulating pre when you search. Uh, there's a browser extension. If you just go to presearch.org slash extensions, uh, it works on Firefox, Chrome, and Brave currently. Uh, there's also an app uh, on iOS that's new. It's uh, a browser. We've essentially, uh, you know, forked one of the leading privacy browsers and built a pre-search version. So uh, appreciate anybody's uh, thoughts and feedback on that because it's it's uh, brand new. Uh, we've got an Android version that will be out uh, in the next month or so. Uh, you could also start running a node if you're interested. You want to uh, earn some rewards that way, as well as just support the decentralized ecosystem. You can just go to nodes.presearch.org. And then if you do have something that you want to promote, uh, you can go to keywords.presearch.org and you can run a, a keyword staking ad. So uh, that's about it for me. Uh, again, really appreciate everybody's uh, support, everybody's feedback. Uh, if there's anything that we can do, I mean, we're trying to find all the people in the space that are doing amazing things and trying to, you know, redistribute uh, some of the income that we're bringing in to, uh, you know, uh, projects that are values aligned and uh, really just trying to, uh, you know, build a better world like, like all of you that's built on the principles of freedom and libertary, uh, <laughs> liber combining a couple of things there, li liberty and voluntarism, and, uh, you know, just really trying to uh, get connected with uh, all the amazing people like the organizers of this great conference uh, who are helping to change the world. So thanks again. Really uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thanks, John. Awesome. Woo, give it up. Give it up. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you so much, Colin, for that amazing presentation. We appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And once again, folks, there's it's there's this it's always like a for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, although maybe a better, a greater. There you go. A greater reaction. And that's what it's all about. And that's what the Greater Reset is all about. It's about building. It's about creating. It's not about fighting or screaming or shouting or storming government buildings. Arrgh. It's about coming together, pulling our kids out of school, getting our hands dirty in the garden, 
and building some cool technology. And that's what day four is all about. We're going to go to an interview here in a second. But before we do, I'd like to shout out some of our sponsors. Great example of the ethos of the Greater Reset is Float, float float.app. Raise your hand if you have Float social media network. Come on now. All right. Wow. We got some work to do. Thanks to Float Social Network. Believe it or not, there's still a place where you can share whatever floats your boat. No censorship, no data mining, no deplatforming, just wide open freedom. Join the network at float.app. That's F L O T E dot app. And now, without further ado, back to the activation. <laughs> back to the activation. Who was that with that voice that we heard in that ad? That was a great, great voice we got there. Whatever floats your boat. So for real, while I'm talking, we had just have a few minutes before our next guests. I strongly encourage you to bust out your smartphones, go to float.app and download the social media network. It's literally made by like-minded voluntarists, some close friends of ours. They have supported this event with a financial contribution And they are going to be releasing a token pretty soon. So it's a super cool, super groovy, really simple to use social media network. There's no Zuckerberg peeping over. You know that little meme where it's like this? And it's like a little face peeping over a wall. There's none of that. No Zuckerberg hovering over your shoulder. Nobody's getting banned for anything. So uh, definitely check out Float. I'm on there. Derek's on there. And this event is actually live streaming on Float. They have live streaming uh, capabilities. I also want to thank Bitcoin.com. Roger Bear and the crew over there have supported our work many times before. They have an amazing platform, Bitcoin.com, with news, information. You can purchase cryptocurrency. You can sell stuff on there for cryptocurrency. Uh, so check that out at Bitcoin.com. Support for The Greater Reset comes from Bitcoin.com, your one-stop shop for all things crypto. New to cryptocurrency and want to learn the basics? Visit the Bitcoin.com starter guide at Bitcoin.com slash get dash started. While you're on the site, you can also download their simple-to-use crypto wallet, buy and sell your favorite altcoin, and stay up to date on all things crypto in their news section. The team at Bitcoin.com are strong supporters of the Greater Reset and the cause of freedom. Visit the site and join the crypto revolution today at Bitcoin.com. That's Bitcoin.com. And now back to the activation. All right. So I believe we have our next guests ready. They are the brains behind Quirtle. That's Quirtle with a Q, which is an exciting decentralized blockchain program that we are going to share with you today about. So if I can get everyone's attention, please. We're going to do a little interview to try to explain the magnitude of what it is that these gentlemen are building and their community are building. It's always it's never just the person that's talking about it. There's always a huge network and community behind it, and this is definitely one of those projects. So we talked about blockchain earlier. We talked about cryptocurrency. There's some cryptocurrencies that we had hoped were going to be super cool, and the people's 
currency and the people's technology, but they've been a little bit co-opted and kind of lost their way. But this is a project that is definitely for the little guy, totally decentralized, distributed. So we're going to learn about it today. So I'd like to introduce Mike Winter and Jason Crow to the audience. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Hey, John. Great to be here with you, man. I really love your work. Yeah, thanks. Glad to have you guys. So I know some basics about your project, but I'm not super knowledgeable. So that's always great for interviews because we can all learn together. So let us get started. Maybe one of you guys, well, actually, first, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. How did you get involved in the, we lost for the cause oh. of freedom? Let's go with you first, Jason. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I missed your, uh, your question there because you cut out a little bit. The question is, are you guys able to hear me okay? Am I coming yeah, in clearly? Yeah, you okay. just broke up for a second, John. All right on. So the question is, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you got into the cryptocurrency space, and how you came to have an affinity for the cause of freedom. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I've been a tech guy basically my whole life. Since I was 16, I had my first tech job. Um, I found uh, Bitcoin through a partner of mine who worked at a day job that I had. He was a coder and he showed it to me. I immediately became interested in the aspect of mining because uh, that was, you know, my thing was building computers and stuff. So I'm like, I could build computers to make money. That's pretty cool. Right. So I got interested in that. Then realized very quickly that the mining just wasn't following the concepts that Bitcoin itself laid out. Right. Like it was supposed to be that each individual person was able to power the network, able to mine and able to earn from it and help to power the network. Right. And I learned quickly that that's just not the case when it comes to POW mining. And so I got into a couple other projects and led them for a while and the whole time thinking of new concepts and stuff that I wanted to build into the ultimate blockchain project, which is Cordal. And now we, we are here now. So, it, I mean, it's it's been a long time. We've been working on this project for nearly seven years, a little bit longer now um, with the concepts and everything. And uh, now we get to see what we've created and what we're going to do with it in the near future, which I'm very, very excited about. I'll let Mike uh, give his piece now. Good. It's amazing that we're here, huh, Jason? Oh, it's man. Quite a quite a ride. Um, I got into uh, crypto via more of the, the economic side. I think I was like in 97 or 8, read uh, G. Ever Griffith's uh, Creature from Jekyll Island. My dad gave to me when I was in college to counter all my libtard friends that were economic majors. And I was like blown away by what money is. And, and it led me down the path for years uh, investigating it. I was working in Hollywood and doing film and stuff, and I was trying to like inject those ideas into my projects and not getting anywhere. And then uh, 2012, I got into Bitcoin through more of like the libertarian kind of uh, Ron Paul uh, stuff that I was involved with. And that really kind of led me down the rabbit hole into crypto. And then when the crypto 2.0 blockchain revolution kind of hit, um, with like PureCoin and those other projects, I got really into into uh, nerding out on algorithms for consensus because I felt like that was the most important aspect, one of the most important aspects. And so then I started developing a proof of experience protocol where I could tie uh, crypto back into the real world. And so I started a project called KarmaShip in 2000, what was that, 17, where we were trying to create a proof of experience model where um, the algorithm would be, would be actually integrated into real-time real, ter real time, um, re uh, interactions of experience. 
And then that led me to meet Jason and their team came in and helped build the back end for that project. And then I jumped into Cordal. Uh, that was kind of the, the beginning of Cordal there as well. I mean, you guys, Cordal been worked on off the core of code base for a long time. So that, that was... Uh, yeah, KarmaShip was actually the first that used, uh, still used the old Cora core, but we were planning on moving that into using the new core when we got there. Um, didn't We haven't quite done that yet, but it seems like it's something we could still do in the future. But yeah, we, now we have the new, uh, completely new project that is Cordal. So. Yeah. Cool. And it sounds like it's Cordal, the ultimate blockchain project. I mean, yeah, like that's that was the aim of it, right? Like it... It's really about taking the concepts of blockchain and applying them to more things, right? So like the concepts of blockchain right now are being really well applied when it comes to monetary things, like using it for any sort of monetary needs, right? And that's great. But the blockchain can do a whole lot more than just uh, monetary stuff, right? So the thing is, is that what Cordal is trying to do is demonstrate the other use cases that blockchain has, like uh, for data storage and web hosting and things like that, where you can actually take and make data that can only be changed by one person, right? So then that data cannot be manipulated, that data cannot be hacked, that data cannot be any sort of messed with, right? So uh, that right there is going to be huge. And that's the next phase right now that we're moving into with Portal. And we also right now already have another demonstration of what blockchain technology can do in the trade portal, which is direct P2P trades cross blockchains. So right now we support Litecoin. You can take Litecoin and trade directly for Court, which is the main coin of the platform, without any intermediary whatsoever. So we're removing all uh, middlemen from the equation, right? So there's no need for anyone to take fees from anything. There are no fees for these transactions to take place other than the fees that are necessary to create the transactions on both blockchains. So you're essentially getting a fee-less trade directly between one currency and another with no middleman, right? So that eliminates the need to give up control of your coins to some entity, some company, and let them have control of your coins. And they move around those numbers in a database and you seem like you're trading coins yeah. when all you're doing is trading numbers in their database. So yeah, that was, we, that was yeah. one of the biggest things that, uh, that we talked about at the very, very beginning is the centralized exchanges are one of the most corruptible, biggest problems with crypto today. It really has become Wall Street 2.0. And that was one of the main foundations that had to be with Cordal. And that was actually originally what Cordal was just going to be, was going to be a decentralized exchange yep. back in, we were developed this 2016, 2017. But now it's just one very, very important infrastructural aspect to the project, which is so key is that, like Jason said, it direct commerce. It is, there is no intermediary. There is no centralized data database or any funny money bots or anything that is uh, manipulating or involved with uh, the coin itself. Awesome. Now, that sounds fascinating. And I'm keeping up with everything you guys are sharing. But I want to want to challenge you guys to slow it down a little for some of the audience that doesn't fully understand. It's always an issue for me. So no problem. We got POW <laughs> mining and P2P. So let's let's start with the mining. Right. So you mentioned right. POW mining, which means proof of work mining, which means very powerful computers need to do a lot of work, a lot of computing power, a lot of energy in order to verify the transactions that take place on the network. This is what Bitcoin does. Elon Musk 
just called attention to this, right? And originally, you could do this. He gave us a a nice advertisement for Cordal without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Originally, you could do that on a laptop. So laptops could run, verify the network, decentralize the network. But then they started having these complex chips that you had to buy. Now it's really expensive and out of reach for a normal user. So how does Cordal aim to solve this problem? So what we have done is created a completely new algorithm and it's actually, it's a protocol and an algorithm that all work together, right? And it's called minting. And what we are doing with the minting is making it actually possible for people to do what we've been saying and get every individual user the ability to actually verify transactions and earn court rewards for verifying those transactions. So literally all you have to do is make a full node, which is any computer running the core. So you just have to install the software, get your chain synchronized, then add what's called a minting key to your node, which then verifies on your behalf. And that's it, right? So it just verifies that you have a node that you're running, that you're helping to verify transactions and you get rewarded for that. So it's not uh, a huge computational uh, process where you require your computer running 100% CPU all the time to do this. Instead, you just literally have to run a node and have a key that verifies it on your behalf and that's it. And so it really opens it up. And we've seen it already that we have people running on laptops. We have people running on Raspberry Pi 4s. We have people running on normal desktop machines or virtual machines that they rent in the cloud. It really doesn't matter. Um, A machine as small as a 5-watt Raspberry Pi 4 can run this thing and verify and make those transactions on your behalf and make you into a mentor on the network. And the other portion of it is, As you, as a mentor, continue to prove yourself legitimate, you then level up in the system. And as you level up, you gain um, in reward. So your reward increases. So the longer you've been proving yourself, the more reward you get. And also your influence in terms of when we get the voting system complete, your influence in votes will also be reliant upon uh, your overall contribution, right? So it's really just trying to directly reward contribution with uh, reward, right? So the more you con- the more you contribute towards proving yourself a legitimate mentor on the network, which just means running your machine, the longer you do that, more time goes by, you level up, you get more influence, you get more reward. And we will have other leveling methods in the future for different things like being a content creator and people upvote your content, you'll get a level for that. Uh, If you want to become a liquidity provider for the trade portal, you'll be able to get a level for that. So there will be new methods for leveling as well, but minting is the first one and the one that will allow us to expand the network and get more people involved. And so that's what we started with. Um, That was part of phase one. And, and yeah, on, so it's and, literally anyone can do it, right? And on the economic, so it's basically based on time, not CPU power. It's based on time. Time is the currency here. And what's beautiful about this is it's fully egalitarian in this in terms that it's a big pool. Basically, one of the big problems with proof of work mining is the pools that that were created, right? And we know all about the Chinese mining um, uh, warehouses, right? Because they get the cheap, dirty uh, electricity, and it's really hard to compete with. And and that's what Elon Musk was, you know, talking about. Um, and so basically, what's beautiful about the minting protocol is that everybody gets the same piece depending on what level you are in, you all share the piece of every reward. 
So as every new person comes in and takes responsibility for their own node and to be part of the network, you now every 30 seconds, um, you get a little piece of the same piece of everybody else's reward. So it's like a massive pool. So it's very egalitarian. And also it's based on what I love to talk about, which is based on abundance versus scarcity. Bitcoin is driven by scarcity. Almost all cryptos are driven by scarcity in that there's a cap and it's uh, it's deflationary in that rate, which is great uh, for those who, um, you know, are looking to hodl or, you know, to hold on to these cryptos and, and gain value. However, we have a different mentality for what money should be and what commerce should be and what life should be about in terms of what money is. And we should be not be worried about trying to save all our ducats and constantly have working for the money. The money should be working for us. We should be able to go out and do what we want to do, whether that be growing something or being a creative or doing art or whatever you want. So the idea is to get into the network and join in the abundance so that we can then have a more flourishing society that is more holistic and more focused on what humans are here you know, why we're here on this planet, which is to be creative, amazing souls. So that is one of the things that I really love about this project is the, the economic side of it. And it's more based on an abundance model than a scarcity model. Okay. So are you saying, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Are you saying that, uh, is there going to be a cap on the number of tokens or coins or is that so going to be I, fluid? I can explain um, that. So basically there, there is a cap but it's only on the block reward, right? So we do not have a total cap wherein there's there's a maximum amount of coins that it will ever get to. However, we do have a cap on the current block reward. Right now, it will follow a distribution model where it will continually go down. Every six months, it decreases by 0.25. Right now, it's at 4.75. It started at, at 5. It will continue to drop by 0.25 every six months. Then once it reaches 2... The vote of the community then decides whether it goes up or down by a total of one coin by in, in 0.25 increments, right? So we can vote to change it by 0.25, by 0.5, by 0.75, or by one in either direction to a minimum of one that will ever be. So the smallest that will ever be is one coin per block. The largest it will ever be is five, where it started. So within that range, the community can then decide to vote and decide whether it goes up or down. So that's something that's also unique about it is that uh, the community literally gets a direct say in the rewards once they reach to uh, where they will go from there, right? So it's unique in that regard too. Yeah, so in essence, scale. is it like a, is a decentralized autonomous organization because the community has uh, ownership stake, the community has a say in how the network is to be governed. Is that the case? Yes, exactly. And it's fully community developed. Um, we have a team, but it's only, uh, I say that very loosely because we add new people to it all the time. Uh, people, developers who come in and start talking with us want to help out. Um, so yeah, it's a totally community-based project, uh, totally in every regard. And yes, the community, as they level up, so multiple different leveling methods, as we said right now, the only one is minting. So as the people continue to level up as a minter, your level then gives you a higher influence in the voting system. So you've been dedicating your time for a longer period of time, right? So you've been part of the system longer. It makes more sense for you to then have a higher say, as opposed to someone coming in with a lot of money, buying a bunch of miners and having a larger say because they own more. 
we've gotten rid of the money equals power, right? So now money no longer equals power. What equals power is your dedication towards making sure that you've contributed to the project. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big counters right now to the proof of work energy problem has been the proof of stake algorithm, which Cardano and these other big um, blockchain projects that are really trendy right now. But the problem is they pre-mine those coins and we're back at the Fed again. We're back at the problem where we have the, the guys that started it or that are in control that have the most coins have the most say. And so even as a founder here, as a co-founder and Jason, if we're not running our node, if we're not doing our time in, in, the, in the project, we will go bye-bye. So it's a really uh, innovative idea to use time over, over coin uh, for the consensus. And, and it's something that we feel is how nature works. So we're trying to mimic nature the best we can because that is how we're going to counter the great the great reset right is by staying with natural law and nature and and really what truth is so blockchain is supposed to be an immutable truth machine it should be based on natural laws not based on money uh, amount of coin someone has or amount of money they can spend on a huge mining um you know infrastructure and not hurt the environment either right like the ability to do this on a raspberry pi means you can run this on a small solar panel and and use that to run the network and to be a mentor, you don't have to have a huge amount of power, like a normal, typical house type of power to do that, right? So it's it's really uh, trying to balance things in a lot of different ways, right? Excellent. Okay, I'm over here now. So um, let me get you some pushback, however. If folks have more power or more control or more influence in the network based on the time that they've been in the network, doesn't that kind of empower an old guard and it makes it more difficult for fresh new ideas to come in and have an influence? Well, there's a max cap, right? So once people get to the level 10, that's as, that's as much influence as they'll ever get. So it just takes you a while to get up to the max influence, right? So there's a point there where most people will be getting up to that larger influence. So, I mean, I think it'll balance out. We can also make changes to this. So any sort of uh, con- um, questions or concerns that people have can be turned into then theories that we could make modifications to this with. This is by no means set in stone. This is the first iteration of what we have completed now. There will be many, many changes in the future. So these types of questions and things like that will be great to decide, you know, if we do want to make some considerations for things like that. And I think that the other leveling methods will also help to level things out because you'll be able to level up in other ways. We can also then take the other leveling methods and use those for higher vote weight for certain votes that apply more towards their realm, right? So there's going to be a lot of things there with like uh, little details that we can work out. Um, uh, Right now we have the system that we have and we can modify it if we need to. I appreciate that. If For a while in my activist history, I was a huge constitutionalist, right? Everyone's always hoorah for the constitution. But I mean, at the end of the day, the documents, it was written a really long time ago and there's good stuff. I would like to keep the good stuff and throw out the bad stuff like the central government exactly. that it created. But I think it's good to have some sort of fluidity. And Bitcoin, as we have come to find out, it's actually really difficult for there to be improvements and changes and upgrades to the Bitcoin network. So I appreciate that answer. It's good to remain fluid and flexible and responsive to the community that benefits from it. We're by no means saying that that our first model is, is perfect, right? Like, no, we're not saying that. We're saying that we've created something that we think is good. 
And if there are changes that are necessary, people bring up concerns and things that need to be changed. We've made it uh, to be flexible on purpose, right? And, and the, 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 the terms flexible and blockchain usually don't really go together, right? Like as we've seen with Bitcoin, it's extremely difficult to get those things to pass. Most of the miners have to mine that direction. That's why with minting and with the leveling system, it makes those changes a lot easier to implement. So people can actually vote on them. And then that vote can be decided and the development team can then work on implementing those votes. So it's really more of a, a fluid, changeable thing. And that's an idea, too, that we wanted to follow and make sure that we did have that flexibility uh, to do those kinds of things. And, and, and John, it's also based on time. So it's not like you have whales that can come in and buy their way in. Right. It's based on people that care about the project because they put the time in to run the node and do what's needed to be involved with the network. There is a sense to understand that there's respect with elders, there's respect with people who put time and experience in. And we should have those people have a little more say because they have more experience. We're seeing it right now with the woke crowd, with all these kids, these, you know, jumping in, trying to think they know more than their elders. So I'm not saying that boomers know everything either, but there is some value to understanding um, those who put in more time and experience and things should have a little more say in the project that they care about and letting just people jump in with a bunch of money or, or whatnot. And so, yeah, um, like Jason says, though, this is very fluid, which is very important because you have a dichotomy with blockchain, right? You have the immutability of it, which is really powerful, but you also need to have the ability to be flexible and change. For instance, if, say, quantum computing comes around and can hack the SHA-256 algorithm or, or the encryption, how do you counter that, right? So um, community is everything. That is like the number one thing, open source, of course, right? And then community. And if the community can be involved in, can be, um, and corruption can be mitigated through these principles of time, then um, I think we have a pretty good solution as of now. But you're right. We should be able to be flexible and grow and change and, and, and move with the times that come. Yeah, I can appreciate that. The whole respect the elders there, especially if you're the elder <laughs> and you're the one in that position. Well, OK, let's talk about y'all's roadmap. So is this project launched? Can people access the blockchain now? Is there a roadmap? Are there some dates that we can look out for? Um, I don't really like to do dates, especially with a project like ours, because we are literally doing everything from scratch. Uh, this is all stuff that's really never been done before. So estimating a completion date is kind of difficult. Uh, that being said, yes, we've had the live network running for just under a year now. You can go to quartal.org, which is Q-O-R-T-A-L.org. You can get all the links there for the downloads for both the Quartal Core and the Quartal UI. You need the Quartal Core if you want to be a mentor, if you want to run the chain. You need the UI to interact with the core process transactions, use QChat and the other fun features like the trade portal that are inside of the UI. That's the user interface. That's what you guys will actually see. So you'll download those two things, set them up. We have a bunch of tutorials. We have a bunch of videos explaining how to do everything. And we have an amazing community in both Telegram and Discord where you can come and ask any questions that you may have. If you, Even if you think they're dumb questions, there are no such thing as dumb questions. We will answer them all. I'm in there all day long myself answering people's questions and helping them get set up. Um, so yeah, go to quartal.org. The, the wiki link is there as well, which has a huge uh, amount of information explaining all these things that we've talked about too quickly. So if anybody uh, has any remaining questions uh, that they want to answer themselves, they can find that on wiki.quartal.org. 
And QChat kicks ass, man. It's already working. It's like a proof of concept, but it's basically like a decentralized telegram. Uh, we use unconfirmed transactions for instant messaging on the blockchain. And free unconfirmed transactions. So you don't even yeah. have to pay for these messages at all. We use a memory hard POW algorithm to compute a nonce to send to the transaction. So it's actually a completely free transaction. Most people mind kind of blows when they think about that because no other blockchain can really do a totally free transaction like we can. Um, so we use that to make a chat transaction that disappears after 24 hours and is completely encrypted when you're talking in PM. Groups right now are not fully encrypted, but they will be in the near future. Right now, they're just base 58 encoded, but it's still, uh, you have to have the chain in order to pull those messages anyways. But yeah, it's, it's wow. a great uh, communications platform that exists already. We will have voice, video, and screen sharing very soon added to that. I can say within the next few months, a lot of the things that I've been talking about, like data storage and these voice and video communications, stuff like that, will be coming into uh, the reality. So uh, and, within the and next few months. One of the most important things is the naming system, which will be the future, basically what we call the future, future hosting or the future domains, where you can basically get your own unique name on the blockchain, which would then end up being your website down the line. So um, that's an extremely important aspect. And also what's cool, unlike most blockchains, is you can just send crypto. You can send court right to right to the registered name. I don't know. We lost him. Oh, someone took <laughs> me out. But no, so you can, it's really cool. Like you can send, like I could send right to Croatic and I don't have to know his whole public address. So it, it's just like, that's like really cool. Cause that just makes it more user friendly. So like I'm uh, alpha Vedic on the chain. Like if anybody wants to send me court and once you're set up, you can shoot me court right to alpha Vedic and you don't have to copy and paste uh, a long uh, address anymore, which we know can lead to the coin being lost and stuff. So uh, there's a lot of really cool innovations and it's uh, an open source Java protocol. So it, it works on any device really easily. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we're trying to make it as user-friendly as possible, but also it's, it's decentralized. So you guys have to take responsibility. You have to download the software. You can't just jump on your smartphone right now and use it. You probably never will be able to. However, we will have light wallets down the line to allow you to do like simple stuff but this i think we can do most things with a light wallet on a mobile uh, app actually so i've been thinking about that we can definitely do it i'm pretty sure but that's going to be a little bit down the line for sure mm -hmm. yeah so how do we access the this encrypted messaging technology right now is that yeah through the, uh, through it's, the it's in the portal ui yeah uh, so the ui has everything right it has your wallet the ability to send coins the trade portal q chat uh, all of your management functionality it's all in one place right so that's one of the ease of use features that we've made sure to to include is that everything is there in one user interface so that's all you need once you set up your core and it's running then all you need is that user interface and it has everything else. So your Bitcoin, Litecoin, Court wallets are all there. Uh, the trade portal to trade between Litecoin and Court is there. Uh, QChat for communications is there. And a bunch of other stuff will be there in the relatively near future. Awesome. Wow. Okay, tell us again where we can find the app, where we can get onto the Quartal blockchain. Yeah, Q-O-R-T-A-L dot org, Quartal dot org. Q-O-R-T-A-L.org. Okay, I think we have time for a question or two. I bet Ernie Hancock has a question over there. I see him digging all this right now. Okay, can you just uh, share again how the memos, how the encryption works? So, And also try to just really, I don't like to say dumb it down, but we all know what I'm saying when I say dumb it down. <laughs> Try to make it so you could teach a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old. How exactly does this encrypted communication work on a blockchain? 
Okay, so it's the same idea as making a transaction on the blockchain, right? So that same encryption that's used to create a transaction is just used to sign a transaction that's used as a message instead, right? So if you're sending a message that's encrypted on, on both ends with those people's keys, then those two people are the only people that can read that message, right? And the, okay. and the other innovation too is that it's an unconfirmed transaction, so there's no cost to do that. So it just stays unconfirmed on the chain for 24 hours and then releases. So that's how we got around. And Jason, you can explain that better than I, but that's how we got around the transaction fees to do messages. on. Right. Well, actually, how we got around the transaction fee is by using the memory hard POW algo to compute a nonce that then uses that to make the transactions so that uh, we're not using a transaction fee to make a transaction. The only reason a transaction fee exists at all on Cordal is to make sure that there's no spamming of the network. Right. So we've taken away and replaced that spam control with a memory hard algo, which just means you run run something for a few seconds on your computer that gives you a nonce and that nonce then gives you the transaction. So it's a free transaction. The cost is in the com computation of that nonce, right? And you right. can right now go in and create a group. Like if you have an organization, so the greater reset can go in and create the greater reset chat group. And then anybody can join that and you can have your own running chat, just like telegram. With awesome. No servers. That's fully People decentralized NSA. Nobody can tap in and, and because of the encryption. I can see in the audience, people are like, what the hell is a nonce? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas Friedman. Th uh, Thomas Friedman uh, it knows a lot about this technology, so we got a solid question coming from him. I can already tell. Here we go. It's a very simple question. What is the block time of uh, Cordal? It's 60 seconds. Wow. So it takes 10 minutes to confirm a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. And which ours is, is different in another way, too. Sorry not to interrupt. Um, no, the one confirmation is enough for everything. Right. So you don't even when you're minting new coins in the in block er, in Bitcoin's case, you need three confirmations when you mine new coins for those coins to be usable. Uh, because of the way our consensus works, we only need one confirmation. So when you send, it will be there in 60 seconds or less confirmed and able to be spent. That's great. Wow. You know, I've heard some is, rumblings about this, this project. Is, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. This is open source. So we, as we say in every interview, please, if you're a developer, if you, especially a Java developer and you know blockchain and you want to come in and look at the code and find any problems with it, uh, the consensus with anything, please, by all means, do that. And if you're up to par with what our other developers see, you can come in and join the developer group. You can talk smack. You can look at problems like that's what we want. So yep. that's the beauty of open source. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Okay, excellent. Yeah, sounds like a great project. And like I was going to say, we've been hearing a lot of rumblings about this project from various different groups. One more last quick question. What do you got? You got to come up here so the stream can, can see. Ernie Hancock, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, everybody loves him. When you send the transaction and you say it goes, it's temporary and it goes away, can it be retained on your device? Does it memory there yes. or does that go away? Uh, in fact, we are going to build that into the UI, local caching, if you were, for uh, the ability to keep those messages longer on your device. Um, we will be building that sort of uh, addition in. 
so that you could choose to keep the messages longer on your device if you'd like to, but the transaction on the chain itself will disappear after 24 hours if it's that type of transaction. Now, we also will be adding in pinning, which will turn the uh, QChat message into what's called a chain message. And that chain message would then stay on the chain and get confirmed and it'll be a normal transaction. It'll cost uh, a transaction fee to put it there, but it'll keep it there forever. So you'll have two different options to keep messages longer if you want to. Uh, right now, those, those two options do not exist, but they will in the near future. Wow. Okay. I've been hearing rumblings. Old Sayer G of uh, Green Med Info is all pumped about Pouncy Project. He's like, you guys got to yeah. have these guys on. Y'all got to be in tune with them. So I can see what all the excitement's about. It sounds like you guys got some really cool stuff going, and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it myself. So thank you so much. Can I, can John, more, can I quick plug question? One? Super okay. quick. Come on. Hurry. I wanted to plug Run. one thing, Run. too. Okay, so one question is, if I wanted to la- a launch a DAP, on Cordal, what's it written in? What code? And second, um, yep. Okay, right now we do not have that ability. We will in the future. We do not have our data storage and, and hosting uh, okay. finished yet. So when we are uh, getting more close to that result, I will be able to announce those types of things. In theory, however, uh, pretty much anything you can do on the traditional internet should be able to be done on top of our hosting. Okay, cool. Second question is, uh, when will Core be listed on CMC or CoinGecko? Or is that never? Uh, we do not never. have any interest in being listed on centralized things like that. If they take it upon themselves to do it, that's one thing. But we don't influence that because any sort of listing on centralized things is just not within really our ideas of what things should be. So we will have all of that type of stuff within our own system hosted on top of our own thing. Uh, so we don't need to worry Including about centralized our own services. Right. We will be getting off GitHub as soon as we can, as any project should, because it's... And we'll be building phone. a Git that other open source projects can then use wow. that will be hosted on our decentralized network. So, yeah. Cool. They're too cool for CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap. <laughs> I like that. Not, not necessarily. Okay. Like, if, if they want to list us, that's No, fine, you guys are cool. We don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one last... This is Osprey right here. This young man has been running the sound for the project. He's the son of the owners of this event. So give it up, because we've been working him pretty hard. Uh, he's into cryptocurrency as well, so he's got a quick question. Sure. All right. My question is, what's stopping someone from just setting up a warehouse full of Raspberry Pis or computers and just minting a whole bunch? Good question. Great uh, question. That's yeah. That's that's what the sponsorship system is for, um, and we get a little flack for that, but. Uh, the sponsorship is essentially this. So any mentor who's reached level five or higher can issue a sponsorship, which is what allows a new mentor to become a new mentor. It's a limitation on the minting account creation, right? So the founders or level fives or higher can issue a sponsorship that will allow a new mentor to come into the system. So we've have, have taken it and basically given the power to the people to decide who new men, uh, who can be a new mentor, right? So if we wanted to t- say, take you and make you a mentor, I would issue you what's called a sponsorship key. You would use that key to get to level one. Once you get to level one, you create your own minting key and you continue leveling. So there's a limitation there uh, by human means. And each sponsor, we can only hold five uh, sponsorship keys at a time. It takes 7,200 blocks for someone to reach level one. So you have to basically be running a node for a week straight. Um, That's about the time. Uh, We do everything in blocks, of course. And then once you hit that, then you hit level one, you become a mentor. Um, once you hit level five, which 
if you're running a node straight for, for 14 months, know, I think it's yeah, it's about what 14 months. Um, then you can be you can start sponsoring people. So um, that's essentially the 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 way we've stopped gaming that for now. And of course, we will continue we to improve that. We're going to add to that, but yeah, yeah. cool. Reminds Good me of the underground dispensary I used to go to. You couldn't <laughs> refer people until you've been in business with them for a while. All right. Well, we expect keys for the audience to mint as soon as uh, we're able to. Yeah, so anybody joins right. the community, uh, we sponsor people in there all the time. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Hit us up. We'll sponsor you. And John, can I plug an event we're doing? Yep. Yep. Let's make it quick, though. We got to go. Oh, I guess we're out. That's it. <laughs> Hit, just hit us in the message, Mike, and then when then we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely promote it for you. Okay, we need to go down to the folks in Mexico, 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 and we're going to see if we can hear from Ramiro, who wants to share with Ramiro, us some great information. Ramiro, great information. Hey guys, if y'all want to try again, I'm going to mute my mic just to check and see if it was an issue on my end. So my mic is muted now. So take it away, right quick. Right quick. Right quick. Okay, we are going to keep on rocking and rolling. And all right, I'm doing interviews and production here. It's a one man band. Do, 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 do. We're having a good time here. All right, without further ado, we are going to move on to our next presentation. And we are going to be hearing from Whitney Webb and Ryan Christian. These are some hardcore journalists, do a lot of work with The Last American Vagabond. This guy's not on the website. How are you guys doing? Can you guys hear me? We can. Yeah, I can hear you great. Excellent, great excellent. You, well, virtually. Thank you so much for joining us. I can I can see the streams about to be pulled right now as we speak. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Most we got likely. some real subversives, ladies and gentlemen. We wouldn't have it any other way. So why don't we just start by hearing a little bit about who you are and your background, and we'll go to you first, Whitney. Uh, sure. Uh, so I started off writing for a site uh, originally called a True Activist back in 2016. And then I spent most of my career thus far uh, writing for Mint Press News until the beginning of last year, um, at which point I started writing for The Last American Vagabond, which is how I got uh, connected with Ryan. And um, I also uh, last year set up my own website called Unlimited Hangout, uh, where I uh, produce uh, some stuff. I still contribute to The Last American Vagabond, but, you know, that's pretty much uh, you know, the two uh, sites I write for. Um, in general, I cover uh, issues relating to intelligence uh, agencies, uh, civil liberties, uh, surveillance, uh, things like that. Um, but, you know, sometimes I, I do geopolitics when I worked at uh, Mint Press. I did a lot of geopolitical uh, coverage. Not as much now, but, you know, everyone sort of finds their specialty with time, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's uh, me in a, in a nutshell work-wise. Uh, hopefully that's <laughs> an all right introduction. So. No, that's good. That's good. And thank you for all your great work. All right, Ryan Christian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, long story short, started as sort of a little passion project that started with uh, cannabis law reform was the real big focus for me in the beginning. It kind of opened the door to how much we're being lied to about just damn near everything for like, along with a lot of the, the event that really woke up a lot of people, which was 9-11. As uh, O'Keefe usually points out, this is a, a litmus test for the truth or in, the, in the world, and where you stand on that, what went down with 9-11. But it kind of opened my eyes to really in the beginning just how we're deceived by 
people in authority positions, you know, and that just eventually broadened out into realizing it wasn't just cannabis law reform, you know, going back to the why it all happened and where it was actually rooted in. And it opened my eyes to foreign policy and a lot of different things. And I started the website as a little passion project, never thinking it would become something that it is today. And just kept writing about things that I knew people wanted to hear about that were being misrepresented in the media by one side or the other. I mean, the two party illusion, you know, and people like Whitney and Derek and Robert and Lakesh and Taylor Hudak recently have crossed my path over the process of this growth and just brought them in because I see them as being people that have the same mindset, not even necessarily agreeing with everything. You know, we all have our different opinions, but we all have this dedication to find the truth beneath the narrative, you know, and that's where this has been going. And as Whitney points out, you know, it's, we've all been kind of like focused in on our own thing. COVID-19, obviously the big point of this, but as a lot of our work has shown, it, it is a bigger all-encompassing thing that relates to foreign policy and everything else. And so today we're just trying to keep fighting for that reality, you know, and the truth that people aren't seeing. Yeah. One thing I appreciate about both y'all's work and Derek's work too, he has a lot of his content on Last American Vagabond, is just the depth of the research. It's not just glossing over or making inferences it really digs deep and proves what it is that's being communicated. So that's that's definitely something that I appreciate. And of course, whenever the wrong topic or something that goes against the mainstream narrative is communicated these days, we are facing censorship. And that's what this discussion is all about. So, uh, Ryan, why don't we start with you? What would you say is one of the biggest biggest examples of censorship that you've faced in your work? Well, I, it's it's interesting because I've seen this develop over the, over a long period of time, and I should probably note that I am the founder and editor of Last American Vagabond. Like that's something I should have said in the introduction, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the censorship started very early for us in the Last American Vagabond website, like before I even had a YouTube. Well, I mean, before I was using it the way I am today on YouTube and other platforms, we got attacked via AdSense that just like destroyed any early on visions of like ad and revenue, which actually was a huge benefit to me because it early on deviated me into user funded platform kind of stuff, you know? So I would say just because of how, how pivotal that was in the beginning, that was one of the biggest ones that, that they must've recognized early on that we were talking about things that were objective, you know? But then obviously I think the biggest one, the biggest two, let's say would be the recent just censorship of the main YouTube channel, which was recently given back with half the content removed and weird controls on the platform, but then also the Patreon. That's one of the biggest ones that a lot of us have felt because they're going after your fi your finances, your ability to fund the truth, the objective research that you're doing, you know. But for those that know the work, I mean, I've been censored on LinkedIn, on on uh, iHeart, no, iHeart, on uh, on Go GoDaddy, on uh, multiple podcast locations, Twitter, DLive. Brighteon's minute, I mean, all kind of places that aren't you wouldn't expect have been manipulating T Lab work. You know, it's just constant. Wow. So GoDaddy, they're not hosting any of your domains or anything. No, that that's one of the most important ones. I mean, I guess that might even be like in the bigger picture one of the most important ones because people know GoDaddy is one of the largest hosting platforms on the planet. I think, if I remember correctly, um, but they were blocking our podcast and as well as well as at a time when our website was all over the map, all kinds of problems. And so uh, we decided to invest the time and the money in a dedicated server. And the moment, and I mean, instantaneously, once it was up and running, everything worked perfectly and the podcast was working again. So, it, and, and the people that did this for me went in deep and said, it's very obvious that from GoDaddy's level, they were blocking your podcast and that got it removed from Apple immediately and so on. Right. So that was a big one too. Wow. That's, 
it's just such a trip, but it's so obvious. And I think we're all growing used to it. But right. there was a period when this stuff started and we were like, wow, we must be over the tip of the spear. Uh, Whitney, share with us some of the experience you've had with your work being censored because you write some pretty dynamite pieces. <laughs> Thanks. Well, my experience was pretty similar to Ryan's, but back when I worked at Mint Press, um, you know, uh, Mint Press as an outlet um, experienced it too. I wasn't involved in a lot of the social media management um, of the outlet at the time. I was um, I was working there, but really after the 2016 election is when the censorship really started to get insane. So pretty much that's really when I started uh, writing, honestly, because before that I was doing other stuff. So um uh, it was just kind of, uh, you know, my whole career has really been in the censorship age, I guess you could say. Um, but after I left Mint Press and started my own stuff, uh, definitely the biggest, uh, I would agree with Ryan, is Patreon. Um, that was my main source of income in 2020. And if I hadn't set up um, an alternative monetization stream at some point in the latter half of last year, um, I would have been out of the game probably uh, financially. And, you know, I have like a young kid and stuff. Um, they dev- It's really messed up that they went after finances. And in the case of Patreon, It was really crazy because the email they started sending to people accusing them of medical misinformation was like a formatted email. And they said when they sent it to me, here are some uh, examples of the misinformation on your page. And they left it blank like they couldn't (laughs) even provide me with a single um, example. And then after that, they were like, oh, yeah, we don't like this article about the AstraZeneca vaccine and how the people designed it have a very uh, shady track record. And now that vaccine, of course, has been banned by multiple governments uh, so I guess, it, you know, um, wasn't okay to say then, but uh, I mean, it's just kind of uh, silly to look at it in, in retrospect and that they couldn't even call it misinformation. Then I asked, you know, what was factually wrong with the article? And they said, well, it's not that it's factually wrong. It's that if people read it, they may decline the AstraZeneca vaccine that's now been banned by multiple governments um, because it's not safe. So, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's pretty insane that they would continue to demonetize for you, uh, d- uh, demonetize me and, and other people for reporting similar content when, you know, you, you end up being vindicated. But a lot of what's happened in the past year, especially in the COVID era, a lot of stuff people were censored for last year is now suddenly OK to talk about, which I'm sure a lot of um, your viewers have noticed in the past couple uh, of weeks, really, that even you know, stuff that would get you banned on, on Facebook last year. Now people like Anthony Fauci can come out and say, and it's not crazy to have him say it, you know, it's just, uh, you know, beyond, honestly. <laughs> Josh, if I could add one point to that last part for both of us in regard to Patreon, the the biggest thing that was crazy to me was that they told, and this was actually explicit on Whitney's email, that it wasn't about content on Patreon. They were literally telling yeah. Whitney to delete her content on her website. Be just because she has a Patreon account. I mean, that this is the, the level that it's gotten to, you know, and as Facebook uh, Veritas just proved in their videos that Facebook is is knowingly censoring content that's true if it creates vaccine hesitancy. And that's what they admitted to her right there. It's crazy. Have you guys uncovered some of the institutions and organizations behind some of this censorship? We had Sayer G present to us on Monday. I did an interview with him. I still have a YouTube channel. What, what, what? <laughs> it's probably because I only have like 5,500 followers or whatever. So I got my, it's not my first strike. I got strikes for Kratom, but I most definitely got a strike when I interviewed Sayer G. We didn't even really talk about vaccine. It was like a spiritual conversation more than anything. He's on this list of 12 yes. vaccine folks, and there's this nonprofit that's pushing it. Have you guys uncovered yes. any organizations that are pushing some of the censorship on, on y'all's work? 
Well, the one you're talking about there in that case is the Center for Countering Digital Hate, I believe, that's based in the UK. And uh, the guy that runs it, I forget his name, is like a former Morgan Stanley uh, banker guy who now has fashioned himself the an expert on counter extremism and is an advisor to like the uh, domestic extremism uh, commission of the UK government and all of this stuff. But the, if you look at the... Uh, Board of directors on there, I believe there's ties to the Center for American Progress. I believe the, the John Podesta uh, near a Tandon think tank deeply tied to the DNC. So, you know, there's definitely connections there. And um, it's really uh, unfortunate the way that they've been, been targeting these uh, 12 individuals that they're calling the disinformation dozen. I mean, they're just really scared of what uh, those people have to say. And a lot of them are just like the most well-known alternative medicine um, and natural medicine uh, voices that have been that for years long before COVID-19. Um, and I would argue that's part of this broader effort uh, that we're seeing right now to totally remake uh, the nature of medicine under the guise of COVID-19 that's going to go far beyond COVID, uh, which is why they've changed the definition of things like herd immunity, changed the definition of what a vaccine is even, um, you know, to, to fit uh, the current agenda and basically act like immune systems don't exist anymore um, and that you need um, all these different uh novel technological therapeutics and stuff to be healthy, you know, essentially changing uh, the definition of what it means to be healthy. So obviously, you know, this supposed disinformation doesn't beyond COVID-19 and what they have to say about that, you know, are a threat to that agenda longer term. So I think they're trying to target them uh, now. Um, another group that I wrote about when I worked at Mint Press that targeted Mint Press specifically when I was there uh, was NewsGuard, <laughs> which some people... Um, might remember it was honestly pretty silly um, that they uh, decided to censor fake news about anything because one of the co-founders, this guy that used to publish the Wall Street Journal, uh, Lewis Gordon Krovitz, uh, and his articles was accused by the sources he cites of misciting them and making stuff up um, and literally publishing fake news by the people he's citing in his in his own articles. So that's pretty ridiculous. But, you know, they had a lot of ties to, I think, the publicist group, one of the biggest PR um, firms in the world that represent all these big corporations and big pharma corporations. Um, and a lot of ties to really the the powers that be. I wrote about it for uh, Mint Press, I believe, in 2019 or 2018, if someone wants to go uh, look that up. It's been a couple of years, so I can't remember exactly all their dirty connections. Uh, but th it's definitely really considerable. And that seems to be the case for a lot of uh, these groups if you start to look at who funds them specifically um, and what their agendas are. And, of course, the fact checkers more broadly at mainstream media outlets. You know, you take something like the Washington Post which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who is like a multi-million dollar conflict of interest with the CIA. Amazon is a contractor to uh, the intelligence and was about, you know, I think still is to the military, even they lost the Jedi cloud contract, but they have deep ties to the U.S. government and the intelligence community. Um, so it's really silly to think, you know, that they're going to be, you know, honest brokers, especially with someone like me who's writing, you know, specifically about the intelligence agencies that their owner has conflicts of interest with, you know. Yeah, it's pretty typical. It, it's almost laughable, but it's it sucks when there's journalists that earn a living from this and they end up hurting your bottom line, which is pretty difficult. Uh, Ryan, let me ask you, what are some alternative platforms? Because, again, the greater reset, it's not about the problem and whining about the problem. It's about empowering people. OK, that happened. What are we going to do about it? Hmm. And thankfully, we're in this age of decentralization and all these this entrepreneurial spirit within the liberty and truth community that's creating these new platforms. So can you share with us some of the alternatives that you have found vestige in? 
Yeah, it's it's a great thing to think about right now. And I and your point is this is it's an interesting time. It's almost as much as it's a dangerous and and scary time. It's almost exciting in a way to see how many people are using this as the motivation to do things we should have done a long time ago. You know, and and there's a lot of great platforms out there. I'll start with the one that many people have seen me talk about that I'm I was working with as a consultant to make this thing something that we could potentially use to. and a YouTube alternative to say it in a way that makes sense to a lot of people. Um, and this is something I'm no, not financially in, invested in, just something that I believe in. This is called Super U. It's Super U with the letter U dot net. And, and this is a great platform that is, is a, it has everything that YouTube has, or at least it will. We're building out the payment gateway now. But it's something that is is all about challenging the current status quo, not necessarily just basically being able to speak about what you think is correct and not being worried someone's going to step in and say, you can't have that idea, or you're not allowed to talk about it here, or you can only talk about it at these certain times. They're controlling the flow of information. And so this is one of these great platforms that will fight for that. It's been built in a way that is, in our opinion, censorship proof outside of you know bringing down the whole damn system. But aside of that, and I really recommend people, please check that out. Check out The Last American Vagabond for that and see you know, where it's growing, but there's a lot of great other ones too, right? We all, we've seen Odyssey develop a lot, uh, library for those that use it. And, you know, they're both ultimately the same thing. Odyssey is a great one and it's just got live streaming and that's a great new platform for the same kind of idea. And this is another blockchain based one that has its own uh, cryptocurrency and so on. Um, there is BitChute, obviously, which, which most people are familiar with. Um, I'm trying to think uh, Rockfin is another good one that's currently more geared toward making fine money for the users, which I appreciate because, you know, it, it's not the best in regard to getting the most reach for your content. But for someone like Jason Burmis, for instance, he's admitted that that platforms pretty much gave him the time and the, the the ability to keep doing what he's doing. You know, so just back to the original point, there's, there's so many out there we could list off. And I think we should be leaning into the new alternative platforms that are going different directions than the current way. But it is just an exciting time to see how many different people are trying to circumvent this or, mm-hmm. you know, new projects in crypt- the crypto world that are working to build decentralized internet concepts. You know, that's where we should be aiming for, whether you whether it's crypto or not. I tend to believe that's what, the way that seems to be going. But I know people are very hesitant about that. But it's an interesting thing for sure. Um, and if I could just add a platform to that, I actually learned about it recently. Um, it, it's being I, it was set up by uh, one of the original podcasters, Adam Curry, to be decentralized because uh, he realized after podcasting really took off that it wasn't a good idea to have like Apple and these uh, big companies have so much control over podcast directories. So um, I believe it's called Sphinx Chat, what he set up, and it's set up to be decentralized and to not have that issue um, that podcasting, uh, Apple Podcasts and all of that um, obviously fell into. And apparently it it also um, has a monetization option. Um, I haven't signed up for it yet, but um, I'm looking to get um, involved in it because it's been recommended to me by uh, several people. So for people that don't necessarily have video content and just have audio content, it, I believe it also supports uh, video as well. Um, that may also be an interesting alternative to look into. And Josh, if you don't mind, two more, just two things I thought were important that I always forget to add in regard to Super U. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Am I calling you the wrong name? I'm sorry. My apologies. Um, it's okay. It's close. It's John. Everyone John, always I'm does sorry. It. I'm, that's it's embarrassing. Okay. My apologies. I, know you, I still love anyway, you. The, the, the point was in regard, thank you, <laughs> in regard to, in regard to super you, um, that two things, one is that membership is not required and that's been a mis misperception, uh, misunderstanding about the platform. It is something that is required for commenting any, in regard to using the platform and sharing the video, watching the video, you don't need that. And ultimately this is something that has been built to 
basically make everything else obsolete. Right. So it's built so you can have a monthly donation option so you don't need Patreon. It's built so you can have embeds and live streaming and scheduling and everything else that YouTube has so you don't need YouTube and so on and so on. Right. That's the idea. Even building it out to possibly make something like a Discord obsolete that we can have on there. So like that's that's the vision going forward, just so people know that's the direction. And it's it's, it's exciting. Yeah, and of course the decentralized nature makes it so it's sensor proof, which I think is most incredible the centralized point of failure really leads to a lot of problems. And it's not just for currency. Everyone's familiar with blockchain for currency and Bitcoin for currency, but really the proliferation of information is absolutely critical. So let me ask you, um, what are, who are some of y'all's favorite censored journalists and activists out there? Who do you guys like to spotlight? Who do you guys like to follow? I like Whitney Webb personally. I think she's a great. <laughs> <favorite>. <laughs> ah, thanks. Um, so, uh, well, in my case, this is kind of a hard question for me for answer, because once I started producing uh, so much of my own content, I kind of stopped watching a lot of other people just because I don't have the time. I have a really full personal life. I have a, a family between all this, like, you know, uh, very time consuming research and, and writing and podcasts and stuff uh, that I do. But there is uh, one person who I watched before I did this and who I still watch, and that would be James Corbett of The Corbett Report. Um, and I still tune in every week to uh, him and James Evan Pilato in New World Next Week. So those guys, uh, you know, longtime favorites of mine. Um, but there are a lot of really great researchers out there that I just recently discovered. Uh, someone just turned me on to, uh, I think his name is John Klezek. I hope I'm saying his last name right. But he's uh, going to be contributing to my site now. I had no idea he exists. And I thought his research was amazing. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have uh, uh, big platforms right now, but who are doing really great work. And I'm really sorry, I can't name drop more of them. Um, but there's definitely a lot of people, uh, you know, out there in the word, uh, woodwork that definitely uh, deserve recognition. So I'm hoping at least sometime in the future when I have time to sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe step back and have more time to watch people's stuff. Uh, you know, because even Ryan's content, who I who I follow uh, regularly, you know, sometimes I can't watch all of his stuff because they're, you know, a couple hours long most of the time. And a lot of time that's hard for me to fit in my schedule, unfortunately, you know, but I really appreciate the the, the deep work that he does. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely people uh, all around and we need to try and uh, boost each other up and support each other as much as possible. So. Right on. I know I definitely, one of my favorite journalists out there goes by the name of Derek Bros, the Conscious Resistance. He also <laughs> writes on The Last American Vagabond. Derek, are you with us? Can you hear me? We can hear you. All right. Okay. So Derek was supposed awesome. to be moderating this panel. We had some issues earlier, but now we have Derek. I think he's back at the hotel or wherever. So Derek, we were just saying that the question was, what are some of your favorite censored journalists? So let's, let's hear from you. Cause I know all you guys are on the other end, but I know you also consume some media too. So what do you got Derek? Yeah. Thanks for that, John. Um, I would just name drop a few people. I guess that are starting to get censored and that are doing good work. Um, Frank Analysis is one channel. I think he's a good, like, younger kind of getting into it. More on the, he considers himself to be, I think, a real true liberal, uh, but he's also getting censored for speaking out about COVID and other things. Um, I don't know if somebody already mentioned Taylor Hudak, who's working with the Last American Vagabond. She's on our team, but she's doing great work as well. And 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many, I think, also smaller local journalists. One thing I will say is that I get people who reach out to me and ask just basic skills, like how do I research? How do I find documents? Or, you know, how do you put information together? And I'm sure Whitney and Ryan have heard similar things and been asked similar questions. And um, there's, so there's a lot of young minds, I think, out there of all, really all ages that are trying to, to get into it. And I think the censorship is in some ways discouraging people from joining Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, for folks like you, it's empowering you. And, and I think it really demonstrates that if your work gets censored, then you're speaking truth to power and there's something to what it is that you're saying. What would you guys say are some of the most censored types of contents? Like, I know that y'all are just plowing forward, but I, there's other journalists that are like, no, I can't touch that issue. But that's the issue that should be touched, right, that we need to lean into. So, uh, Derek, what would you say is one of the more censored topics that you've covered? Uh, obviously talking about COVID truths that don't fit the narrative or some of the censored things. Like I was deleted in October of last year from YouTube for doing a video on an article I wrote for Last American Vagabond. And it was just reporting facts, some that Whitney has even gone deeper with about this push for wearable technology and trying to get us to move into the biosecurity, health security phase. And I definitely, I think it, it seems like they don't want people to recognize that. But of course, now you look in the mainstream and they're telling everybody about it. But we were telling people about it last year and getting banned for it. Um, so I think that just generally, like the truth of what's going on with COVID is the prime censoring subject right now. Yeah, it's hot. What, what would you say, Ryan, besides COVID stuff? What is some early stuff that you guys got censored for? Oh, you're, 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 muted, you're muted, my friend. Sorry, I saw that. Yeah. So I, right on the COVID note, though, I do think that the vaccine part of it seems to be the big part mm-hmm. that they really don't want anyone talking about right now. But pre-COVID, I, I think for me personally, it was just almost predominantly around foreign policy, specifically around what Israel's government was accomplishing or, or destroying. And and then, you know, U.S. foreign policy and what was actually happening on the ground in these places they were claiming were the evil bad guys. And that goes, I mean, you can go back to Iraq, you can go back before that to Osama bin Laden. I mean, it's clear that this is the kind of stuff. But the the, rea- the interesting reality coming full circle is that, as Whitney's pointed out, Derek's pointed out, it it's it's very connected. The biosecurity state was is part two to the security state from 9-11, you know, and you can see that it's about censoring their most important you know, they being whatever, the social engineers, the hierarchy enslaving you, the people out there trying to control you, censoring what seems to be the thing they really don't want you paying attention to for the agenda. And foreign policy has always been a means to an end for a lot of this control. We see this being a worldwide agenda that's happening right now. So I've always felt foreign policy was a big part of it. But I mean, even right now, right? I had stuff that was censored right in the middle of all this in regard to an interview with Vanessa Beely around a Yemeni ambassador, you know, so there's clearly things that they're still focusing on, but I would say that's one of the biggest ones before this. Yeah. Even old Zuckerberg goes back to posts from like 2015, 2012 to censor stuff. What, What do you got, Whitney? What are some topics that you think are pretty hot these days? I would say that for 20 plus years, one of the most censored stories has been September 11th, 2001, uh, it's still that way. And we still have people in independent media who have big profiles who say, I want nothing to do with 9-11 truthers. Um, it's been 20 years and you can't explain the foreign policy uh, decisions a lot of these people report on on the past several years without recognizing what happened uh, that day. And that in that and also the anthrax attacks are completely linked in, in so many ways to what's happening now. 
Um, beyond that, in terms of more current uh, censored stuff that hasn't been brought up, I would actually say the Great Reset itself, this drive, what's driving this whole thing behind COVID-19, this effort to remake every sector of the economy and society uh, in order to fulfill this uh, elite vision of the fourth industrial revolution and neo-feudalism and all of that um, are definitely actually surprisingly censored. And what's interesting is that a lot of outlets and alternative media that for years were very um, uh, covered very well uh, geopolitical conflicts where they were proxy wars over fossil fuels um, have de declined to note how there have been a lot of regime change operations. In Africa, there's been seven leaders that have either mysteriously died, been cooed by the military and all this stuff just since March 2020. That's an insane amount. And in any other year, uh, that would have been a big story. And the same thing is going on right now in, in the Andes in Latin America or in South America. A lot of that has to do with minerals that have to do with the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, people cover that in Bolivia and they mentioned the lithium mines, but they didn't go a step further. And now you're having a lot of uh, crazy stuff go on in Chile where I was living and had to leave because of this, which has 20% of the world's lithium, way more than uh, Bolivia had. Uh, Peru, uh, the guy that's running in their election right now, uh, says he's going to nationalize the mine. Something crazy is going to uh, probably happen there. Ecuador had uh, their uh, election manipulated uh, to favor the, the Western-backed candidate uh, to prevent uh, mining projects from going away from U.S. hands. Um, and Colombia, of course, uh, has a lot of unrest because it's a U.S. client state and it has the world's largest uh, uh, coal mine and other mines as well. The whole Andes is, is full of it. Um, and in the, in the case of Tanzania, for example, I, I said I don't write about geopolitics that much anymore, but this was an exception uh, earlier this year. Uh, the Tanzanian president, of course, bucked the COVID narrative, but he also uh, kicked out Glencore and some of the biggest uh, uh, mining companies in the world off the world's largest nickel deposit. Nickel, of course, being essential to electric car batteries and all of this um, other technology they want to power this stuff on. Um, and people haven't uh, bothered to really look at that uh, dynamic there, but that's because they'd have to acknowledge um, that the Great Reset is actually a thing. And, you know, you had people like The Intercept last year, the supposed adversarial outlet owned by PayPal billionaire um, <laughs> Piero Midiar, uh, saying that, oh, it's the Great Reset conspiracy smoothie. It's just so crazy uh, to say that these uh, these elite have all this power uh, when all their partners and all this stuff just keep rolling the stuff out um, and the stuff that we're the people who are on this beat are covering just keeps coming true. I mean, how long are, are, you, are these people going to be able to say it's like a kooky conspiracy theory when people like Ryan, Derek and I and other people that cover this stuff keep being right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The Great Reset. I remember that whole little theme of it being a conspiracy. And then it started rolling out. That, And then now they're pushing the propaganda. It's it's a trip. Before we go on, let me hear from all my 9-11 truthers. <laughs> no fear in this room. All right, uh, Derek, let me ask you this, and I want to go round robin. What are some of the challenges you think uh, journalists will continue to face? Because we do have these alternative platforms, so that gives us hope. So we're still going to be able to get the message out. It may not reach as many people, but it'll reach the right people, in my opinion. But what are some challenges that uh, that you foresee coming up in the next year? Uh, well, I think Whitney pointed to it earlier, and that's going after people's uh, source of payment, going after things like Patreon and PayPal. And I know you've experienced that, John, not even from the journalistic perspective, but just as from a business perspective. I think we're going to continue to see that amplify. And, you know, Ryan has built the last American Vagabond on listener supported, reader supported, Whitney the same, myself the same. We all have different forms of revenue that come in from people who like, like our work and appreciate it. 
And without that, honestly, I think it would be maybe impossible for us to thrive and survive and continue to do this. Um, but I also think that one of, I, I kind of wrote about these trends a couple of years ago. The trend we're seeing in the mainstream is that everything's going behind paywalls. People are probably noticing that more and more mainstream mm-hmm. sites are paywalls. You might get one, one article a month or no articles and you got to pay. And then the art, our alternative independent media landscape has shrank greatly because of the censorship, because of the coming after monetary resources, coming after this uh, labeling people, disinformation. So I think that just the challenge is going to be to survive, to continue to be able to do this in a long-term fashion and still feed our families and feed ourselves. And, and we can only do that with the support of everybody watching. Yeah, it takes a village. It takes a community. And back to the crypto stuff, a lot of it is it like the blockchain actually pays you for the content if the content is successful and gets out to a lot of people. So I think that's cool how the script is kind of getting flipped. Uh, what yeah, do you say, um, to, Ryan? To what that are, effect, oh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got, Whitney? Uh, no, I was just going to say uh, to, to uh, tag, tag along on that, um, that actually when I was kicked off of Patreon, if I hadn't been on Rockfin, which was the alternative uh, revenue stream I set up on the latter half of last year, I would have been totally uh, out of business. Um, so I, I, I mean, definitely a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, we want to be around if it wasn't for sort of this, uh, alternative, you know, blockchain type, um, you know, websites that are, that are around. And I know Derek, uh, and, and you and, and some other people have gotten flack from certain people in the independent media community for this, but like, what are we supposed to do? Just go out of business, uh, because some people don't like blockchain. Um, I mean, I don't think that's uh, fair to our audiences personally. So, yeah, some people give us a hard time about blockchain and then they share their videos on Odyssey and Library. So it's like, wait a second. Uh, Ryan, what do you what do you think are some upcoming trends? What are some challenges that independent journalists are going to need to watch out for? Uh, I'll speak to challenge. I mean, just everything Derek said and Whitney said, I, I, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, this is they're right now going after everything that makes it possible for us to keep doing what we're doing. But going off of that, the challenge I think that's next is something that we've all covered in different ways that they are going to, they are working on at the very least trying to create a situation where we are not just challenging. We're not just dissenting, but we're criminals, right? We are breaking the law by simply stating things that they don't think are okay. And this speaks to this, even going back to the, the, the counter for center for uh, center for countering digital hate. Why is that even regard in, in context of COVID-19, right? So it's because they're trying to bring this whole hate speech, like that words are violence kind of mentality to the concept of, well, if I say that vaccines, or let's just say, if I say the thing you're currently working on is untested or, or dangerous, or at the very least, I'm not sure about it, that then immediately translates to you are threatening lives by saying something that we've established as fake, right? Even if it's not true, that's going to be, and we all see that's already happening, but the moment we get this momentum, like, let's say we have another, like, I was thinking about like, what if, what if they stage some kind of a, a shooting in a vaccine clinic, right? And they suddenly just go, oh no, like we see where this is going. These people's content are leading to real violence. And suddenly we are now criminals because we dare to question the narrative. That is where I see this going. And I think everybody can agree with that. And so that that's why what we're doing right now is so very important because if we get enough average people aware that there's more than one narrative here, then that's not as easy to accomplish. You know, these, these are the challenges we're going to have to 
engaging going forward. And I think one of the challenges for us personally is something that I think you and Derek have been on for a long time is getting people off this mainstream track and realizing there's an entire community that exists around the centralized path. And if we can lean into that more, that will make it even more difficult for this to happen. And that speaks to the new platforms and the new currency styles and trying to circumvent the main, you know, that's, that's what I think we need to strive for, but it will be a challenge. It'll be difficult. Nothing easy, nothing worth doing is ever easy. That's right. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And I think a lot of people, if you're out in the community or you're coming to the greater reset or you're part of the Freedom Cell Network or you're just doing things, then you know that there's a lot of us out there. But there's a lot of folks who spend most of their time at home or behind a computer, and it really is easy to feel disconnected. In reality, our numbers are very plentiful. And even though the government and these shadowy groups are doing some really nasty things, in many ways, they're the best players on our team because they just keep on shooting themselves in the foot and exposing their true nature as corrupt criminals. And more and more people are seeing through the veil. Like 9-11 really woke a lot of people up. It woke me up, right? And now COVID-19 and all this vaccine stuff, people are really seeing through it. So it's important to always remain hopeful. Whitney, what are some challenges that you think folks will face and and how can we overcome them? Okay, well, this is definitely a challenge, not just for people that write, but people just research out of their own interest. Um, They are scrubbing stuff off of the internet. I came across this specifically um, because of Epstein stuff. People may know that I wrote um, an investigative series about the Epstein scandal back in 2019 and that I'm doing a book about it. Um, But I uh, had, you know, um, my secretary and myself, we started saving a lot of these websites um, that I used uh, for my research then back in 2019 and since then um, as PDFs and as other ways. And some of them have actually been scrubbed. Um, a lot of information, for example, about um, Ghislaine Maxwell's sister, uh, Christine Maxwell's company, Chiliad or Kiliad, um, has has just disappeared uh, since I wrote about it or uh, researched it uh, out in, uh, you know, a, a, a little over a year ago or so. It's started to disappear Um, And I think that's going to be true with a lot of topics, including stuff that's been going on with COVID, among other things. And a lot of historical stuff, too. A lot of stuff, uh, for example, about 9-11 is really hard to find these days. And I think that's something, you know, people with some time on their hands uh, that want to help out but don't necessarily want to put their name out there or get involved in writing or be a YouTuber or anything. You can start archiving this stuff and trying to save it. Uh, hopefully some alternative platform to the Wayback Machine and archive.org will pop up because they're trying, they're making efforts to try and censor that. Um, and we have to make some sort of decentralized uh, platform that can, that can, you know, basically uh, back up the stuff that they're trying to scrub. Um, and a lot of really important stuff in the Epstein case, and this is true for a lot of other stuff, but I just happen to know because of Epstein research, uh, they, they've tried, they scrubbed years ago, even after his first arrest to try and keep it from coming to light. And you can only access it uh, through very expensive professional databases. And I was only able to do that one time because of a university professor who used to uh, read me a lot. I don't really have contact with him uh, anymore, but he offered to do a search for me on one of these databases, LexisNexis, that I could I, I can't afford uh, with, with my salary um, and uh, was able to dig up all this crazy stuff that really changed the game, including on the, the Bill Gates-Epstein relationship. I just put out an article. I mean, that was a huge... Uh, indicator that they're totally lying about them having met, not having met before 2011 and all this stuff, right? So there's tons of information they're trying to censor in real time right now about tons of topics that are in the public interest. And so um, I think now is definitely a time before censorship gets worse. Um, If you come across a, a, 
you know, an, an article that's interesting to you and you're like, wow, this is really damning or information on the Internet that that really puts things in perspective for you. Save it uh, because we don't know what could happen. And, you know, they've made efforts to pull out uh, whole websites out by the roots. My website's been attacked. You know, uh, your guys's websites have been attacked as well. Um, and we saw, for example, with Gab, of course, that's a social media platform, but they pulled it out by the roots at one point uh, by the domain. Uh, they could do that to our sites at some point and someone has to save this stuff. Um, so so that it, so it's there uh, when, you know, the, the great reset uh, fails and, and all and, and the elite you know, start falling over themselves, which they're doing now, but it's going to get worse, but they're going to try and just censor, censor, censor as far as they can. And I think that's an important hedge against, um, you know, this, this digital book burning basically that's going on right now. Excellent. I love how you put it. And we just heard from Mike Swatek earlier about library, which is a great place to pull YouTube videos about truth or stuff and then put them on library or the IPFS interplanetary file system. So people can create like an archive website. They can pull it from the normal web, the centralized web, and then they can take it and populate it on IPFS, and then it'll be accessible. It'll be censor-proof. So that again, that's the new paradigm. It's not a state of victimhood. Woe is me. They're censoring us. Wah, wah, wah. It's what are we going to do about it? And now the platforms exist to where we can keep this information for future generations because we got to look at this as a generational struggle and... Lord knows in public school, I don't, my kids don't go to public school, so I don't know what they're teaching the kids these days about 9-11, but they're certainly not teaching them about <laughs> building seven collapsing in six and a half seconds, you know? If they don't teach you about the Fed, they sure don't teach you about 9-11. <laughs> that's right, that's right. All right, we have Ramiro uh, coming up here. We're going to go to him shortly, but let's go around and uh, if you could finish off with some words of inspiration or some advice for journalists that are just getting started, because you guys are like battle hardened, you know, you've been through a lot for a while, <laughs> but there's a lot of young folks that are just getting into alternative media and they may feel overwhelmed or feel disillusioned to not even start. So what is some advice and some insights that you would share with them to help empower them uh, to follow that path. Let's start with you, Whitney. Uh, all right. Well, um, well, I would just say from my own personal experience, I never thought I would be doing this for a living. I looked up to other people that, that did it and never thought that I could be that good or, or have that reach or make that type of, of content. Um, and I, I would like look at these people like James Corbin be like, I could never do that, you know, uh, but that's not true. You know, uh, it, it takes a village, really like a whole big global community effort at this point uh, to, to pull uh, all this propaganda apart and, uh, you know, expose what's going on. So, you know, I, even if you think, well, because I thought this, so I assume other people probably think this, that, that you wouldn't have an impact and all of this stuff. You know, I don't think that's necessarily true. And I would just uh, point you to my career. Um, I've done pretty all right and I've had, you know, an impact on, on this stuff and in fighting against uh, several different narratives, um, which is the thing I'm honestly uh, most proud um, about. And um, it definitely just uh, uh, takes a, a sense of courage in a sense. You know, you have to be ready for your friends and family uh, to call you crazy conspiracy theorist. Uh, my sister uh, hasn't talked to me ever since I really started doing this. She uh, works in mainstream media and thinks 
I'm a total nutcase and so do my parents, but that's kind of a choice some people have to make, you know, um, and I'm, I'm happy I did it because uh, truth is what matters. And even if you think, you know, people aren't going to find your platform or whatever, people gravitate towards the truth. If you just do your best to have integrity and, and stick to the truth. I mean, that's why I wanted to work with Ryan after, um, you know, I, I sort of struck out on my own a little bit after leaving uh, Mint Press because I always thought he just had a lot of integrity and I wanted to work with people that had integrity. I think if you follow that and, and just keep your desire uh, and, and honesty about trying to find the truth out and just you make it clear that you're doing your best uh, and that, you know, I mean, you're not going to be right all the time necessarily. But as long as you make an effort and you're open and you're willing to correct when you're wrong and all of this stuff, I mean, the audience will come because that type of energy and uh, that you're using to build the foundation uh, of, of your platform and all of that stuff, you know, will be solid then. And, you know, you can just build from there. I love that. Stand in your power, stand in your integrity. I have folks from high school that are messaging me and they're like, so this is what you've been talking about all these years, right? <laughs> it all oh, comes man. full circle. That must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> be yourself. Speak truth to power. All right, Ryan, what say you to future journalists, the young ones? Well, it's, it's very similar to what Whitney just said. And, you know, it, it's for me, it is all about being a little bit better than what you were yesterday, what they are now, you know, it's, it's easy to fall into this and to be into, you know, to say, well, we, we've decided what the reality is and maybe you're right. And then to maybe share or talk about something that you haven't fully fleshed out just because you've already decided this makes more sense. We need to be better than that. Right. And this is what the independent media today has begun to show like that MIT study ridiculously pointed out when they tried to find the opposite, that we are in fact going the other direction. We are becoming more objective and more scientifically oriented and it's driving them crazy. Not everybody in the entire field, but there's a lot of great people out there that are pioneering this path forward and becoming the new media, right? As everybody honest can clearly see that what we need to do is we need to make sure we're objective, that we need to continue to fight for that at all costs, even if you think that it makes you look wishy-washy, right? Don't just go with what the crowd says. Be better than that. And like when he said, you know, I, I challenge anybody to go back and find one of my videos from when I first started on YouTube. It's pretty embarrassing, right? It's like you're very stiff and you're monotone and you don't know what you're doing. And, and it just takes the courage to keep pushing past it. You know, does it matter enough to you to fight for this reality, even if you may look silly when you first start? You know, it's about believing in this enough and 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 finding the people like we like Whitney's talking about that. And I feel the same way about Derek and Whitney, that these are people that that care enough about this, that they're willing to put themselves out there to fight for it. That's what it really comes down to. And, and, oh, and I, I would say really important from my perspective, personally, I, I ask everybody out there to, to see the merit in being a completely user funded platform, no advertising, no anything else that's influencing your direction, get people that believe in what you're doing and that it's powerful and it's important and, and they'll be willing to support you through a dollar a month or whatever else. And you don't need to go through Patreon. Use super you use something else. Use mail. I get more things coming directly to my PO box than anything else these days because of the censorship. I argue more than before the censorship because people are that thirsty for what we're doing. And there's a lot more we could, could say, but just, I really will leave it at that. Just be better, be better than them because it's not hard. I love it. That's so, that's so powerful. And it's just inspirational too, that you guys have made a career out of this and that you've persisted and persevered. I think it really speaks a lot to your dedication and to your character as well. All right. Uh, Derek bros, what kind of advice do you have for, I said earlier, a young journalist, but it doesn't have to be a young or old thing. Anybody that wants to get into this space and dip their toes in the water. That's crazy enough. Like you guys, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say to both 
journalists or just generally people who are interested in getting involved in media or not even in media, but just following media. One thing is be careful not to fall into a trap of turning what we do, what Ryan does, what Whitney does, what James Corbett and so many other great independent journalists do. Don't let it just become conspiratainment, infotainment, where you just flip it on the TV, just like in the past. Oh, let me listen to Ryan. Let me listen to Whitney. Let me listen to uh, RFK. Let me listen to Derek. And it just becomes sort of another form of entertainment that doesn't always lead to action. It's important to be informed, but I just would encourage anybody consuming what we do to definitely take the information, make flyers of it, burn our videos, share them, you know, print out our articles, do whatever you can become an active participant in this because I was just saying to a friend earlier that I think many people have forgotten that a big part of social media is sharing. The, the original intention is to share things that interest you, the things that matter to you. And yes, they've made it more and more difficult to, to do that to some degree, but we still can make an effort. You can, as Ryan said, you can mail somebody something. You can call somebody personally and say, hey, I watched this video. It's important to me. Will you please watch it? Or, you know, instead of just sending it out to the abyss of social media, send direct messages, emails, phone calls to the people you care about to share that. The other thing is just to say, to kind of back up what both Whitney and Ryan said, is that we both know that there are people within the alternative media space that don't have the integrity that I think the three of us and other folks do, that they're willing to just say whatever and they'll just walk around with their dog talking and ranting and a lot of people listen and follow, but there might not be facts being said. In fact, there might be bad information being spread and then that bitter, bad information spreads and then people who are coming across this information, they might see it and they can realize that it's bad information. And then they just sort of dismiss everything we're doing. And you've seen the same problem with 9-11, with COVID, with pretty much any topic. There's, you know, there's sometimes not always hard, credible information for the things we're pointing to. And sometimes there is. But we need to be able to, I think, as journalists and those who are getting into this, definitely learn the principles and the ethics of journalism, but also be willing to go outside of the mainstream. Stand in your truth, as everybody has said, and don't be afraid. If you know you have the facts, then you really have nothing to fear. Uh, the last thing I'll add is, uh, just as an example, when I was investigating the Finders cult, you know, I have clear documented evidence that the CIA and the FBI covered up a sex trafficking cult in 1987 and in 1992. And that is, I, I can you know, debate anybody about that topic because I know it's a fact, but even that would be called crazy by some people. When you know you're right, you're right, and don't let these people push you to conform to lies. So that's pretty much what I got. Thank you, guys. Right on. Right on. Wow. What a what a great little discussion here. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Uh, before we before we let you go, we're going to hear uh, from one of our sponsors. Then we're going to hear from Ramiro. Uh, Whitney, why don't you just share real quick? How can people find your work? Um, well, uh, I don't recommend anymore following me on conventional social media. I don't have a Facebook, but I do have a, a Twitter. I don't know how long that's going to be there, but I do want to stress that this pre-crime domestic terror stuff, they're setting up data mines largely off of conventional social media. Uh, so I would definitely encourage people to follow me on um, uh, different platforms, specifically on my Telegram channel, uh, which is not under my name, but under Unlimited Hangout, which is my website's name. Uh, you can follow uh, follow me there and also on uh, Rockfin if you follow Derek and, and Ryan and some other people that are on Rockfin that um, uh, also works as well. But if you do go to my Twitter profile uh, in the bio, there is a link tree link and that has links to all of my stuff, including uh, my website. But probably, you know, the most reliable way for any content creator you want to follow is go to their website and bookmark it. 
uh, in the event that any of these third party uh, media websites get taken down or whatever. I mean, a lot of the ones that aren't complicit have been or being targeted. Uh, so it's definitely best to just bookmark um, the websites themselves or subscribe to an RSS feed. I think people forget about that. That's a longstanding, pretty decentralized uh, way to keep up with uh, different people on different websites. I know a lot of different people have RSS feeds where their content gets updated. And if you have an RSS feeder app or something like that, you can follow uh, people on there and not have to worry about these middlemen stuff. If we can cut out the middlemen as much as possible, then it, you know the censorship becomes less of an issue. And also it's not as much fuel for this pre-crime state they're trying to set up that they admit uh, is, is data mining so much off of what we say and follow and, and watch via conventional uh, social media, specifically with companies uh, that are really complicit, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and, and Google and YouTube um, among them. So the more we can divest for these platforms, go directly to the creators, uh, but also if there's alternative platforms you want to support, support those that you think are doing a good job. You know, I think it's worth doing both things and diversifying as much as possible because the more decentralized you are, you know, it's a better hedge against uh, censorship and efforts to take uh, people like, uh, take the content of people like us off the internet and all of this stuff you're more likely to maintain uh, access for a longer period of time right on okay thank you so much and ryan what about your website yeah it, the diversification is the really important part obviously the website's what we all i've say that all that's the only place you should go if you want to just continue to stay in touch with us go to our websites bookmark it subscribe and i believe on most of our my, speaking for my website you have all the links to anything you can find on super you and youtube and whatever else i don't know why i would just say youtube the last thing i want you to do is go to youtube it just fell out of my mouth but the point is that there there's a lot of, of benefit by using everything as much as possible. Right. And, and this is the thing that they want is to you to invest in just one of them, right? Speaking to YouTube, right. They want you to think you're comfortable there, that it works and not go everywhere else. One of the things we said early on, when you talk about YouTube is that, yeah, people still want to use it. They don't want to go away. And even though we argue you should at the very least go everywhere else, you know, start your float account, start your Odyssey account, start your accounts everywhere and invest in those just like you do in this one. So when the time comes that we know is coming, that you get booted, you get kicked or something happens, you're not just lost. You know, you have all these other platforms. But if you don't want to do that, like she said, like we're talking about, go directly to the website because like like what already happened, as James Corbett always points out, and this, <laughs> baffling me, despite saying it so often, every single time, once you disappear off YouTube, there's always people that go, Oh, where'd he go? He must not be doing content anymore. You know, it's like that's where you'll find it, you know. Yeah, you gotta preempt it. Okay, excellent. And Derek, where can we hear more from you? Uh theconsciousresistance.com. Just go to my website. It lists my telegram channel, Rockfin, everything they already mentioned. Just the bookmark theconsciousresistance.com. Visit a couple times a week, sign up for my email list. I'm always producing content. Thank you guys. Excellent. All right. Thank you guys so much. That was really, I think, an amazing panel. So we appreciate all the great work that you guys have done. Let's uh, give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Thanks, Thanks everyone. All right, folks, we have an amazing presentation coming up next. But before we go to Ramiro Romani, we're going to take a quick break to hear with one of our sponsors. 
bailouts, inflation, social credit scores, and monetary controls? In a world with increasing surveillance and financial tyranny, millions are turning to cryptocurrency to help them find greater sovereignty. John Bush here to invite you to check out the Demystifying Crypto Workshop. Matt McKibben, Ramiro Romani, and I recently produced over 17 hours of content aimed at taking you from crypto curious to crypto confident. In the workshop, I break down the basics of cryptocurrency, including how to buy it, hold it, and transfer it without revealing your identity. Matt McKibben of Decentranet delivers a primer on decentralized finance, explaining how you can multiply your crypto or use it to give yourself no interest loans. Finally, Ramiro Romani of Above Agency teaches participants how to cultivate a privacy mindset and how to cover their internet footprint. The Demystifying Crypto Workshop is already receiving rave reviews, and you too can gain access to the over 17 hours of incredible content. To learn more or purchase your ticket today, go to CryptoAndPrivacy.com. That's CryptoAndPrivacy.com. In 2021. It's been an amazing day. And without further ado, I want to introduce our next presenter. Ramiro Romani has been doing amazing work on the Greater Reset. He also has the Above Agency with a great team doing all sorts of graphic design, web stuff, privacy. Let me get everyone's attention, please. So uh, he is going to close us down today with the presentation all about how you can have power and control over your internet life, over your digital life. I think it's really valuable information, especially with the world that we are finding ourselves in. So Ramiro, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, John. I uh, hope uh, everyone's doing well. I'm, I'm finally glad to be on screen. I was supposed to actually be speaking in person today, and uh, we're just having some uh, – wasn't able to do that in person, having mic issues, but working around it, right? And it's all about not giving up and persisting, which is going to be a lot about what I talk today. So, um, yeah, I could get right. right into it, and I have a presentation. Take it away. Up. Just, uh, could we have that presentation on screen? Awesome. Cool, guys. So, uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about a concept, an idea, a platform called Above Market. And it is so directly relevant to the network effects that we've created with the Freedom Cells, Freedom Cell Network work with the greater reset activation and uh, that's kind of my purpose in this you know in this grand scheme of things i i started working with the freedom cell network and derek and john and now we're working on the greater reset activation together and i feel like uh, my, my purpose here is to create this network effect and really find the liberating technology that gives us the awareness that there are other people around the world and we don't need that physical connection right i was supposed to be there in in person today and be able to look you in the face, but it's okay because we have this liberating technology and I'm able to speak to you. Um, so that is a lot of what uh, what I want to emphasize in this in this market. And this market is uh, was actually inspired by one of the people, partially inspired by Mike Swatek, who spoke earlier today, who talked about agorist market. And this is kind of the next iteration or my personal viewpoint of what it would take to make it a counter-economic market that is on the surface web and that is accessible and is actually uh, the solution to a lot of the incoming world problems that we're going to talk about. Uh, so I'm just going to 
talk about myself a little. Um, I mentioned I, I started working with Freedom Cells and the Greater Reset last year, and I've been developing my own projects alongside that. So a big part of it is uh, Above Agency, which has been uh, kind of the backing for the tech side of the Greater Reset activation. Um, it was our volunteers and developers who put the website together and uh, have really like the professionalism and the aesthetics that we've come to appreciate. And, and that's what really what we need is we need this level of quality, this, this standard for our counterculture movement. We can be better than, uh, than the centralized propaganda machine. And that's what I'm trying to achieve through Above Agency. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It's above-agency.com. The link's not right there, but... Uh, and uh, there's also another project I've been working on called Neo Network, where I write about technology, privacy, and security um, on a weekly basis. And I'm trying to get a little bit more out with that. But so let's just get right into it, right? And uh, the first question I want to ask, because, you know, there is so much growth happening. We've all been riding the wave up. Um, uh, the, uh, us who have invested in crypto have been getting high, right, off the value of our crypto, at least until a few weeks ago. And uh, we're reaching this new high in a lot of ways. Um, we're adopting all these cryptocurrencies. You know, it feels like everyone and their mom is making a cryptocurrency, and that's okay. MomCoin is great. Last time I checked, the publicly available list was 7,000 cryptos that you can check. And it's my estimate, just looking through the coins that, um, 6,000 of those coins are valued at under five cents. And of course, there's not going to be a lot of trade volumes for those. So we're championing cryptocurrency as a new way. But, you know, is this what progress and success looks like? Just, you know, a massive list of crypto coins to get into. Like, what are what are we really doing with it? On the same side, you see the uh, the money chart, the M1 money supply uh, from the Federal Reserve. And uh, we've essentially injected an additional 1.6 trillion increase onto the money supply, uh, taken off the limits of reserve lending. So banks are able to lend out massive amounts of money with no backing. And these are mostly going to other banks or large corporations. A very small uh, minority of it is going to small businesses and trickling its way down to us. Most of all, it's just not even being spent. It's kind of sitting in the banks themselves. And so we're, we're seeing these waves, right? The, the crypto's going up. You had a little crash. And now the money supply is going up. How, how high are we going to get? And is all this crypto and cash a good thing? Is it making us wealthier? I don't think so. So... Now we need to talk about how low we can go, right? Uh, history repeats itself. And we should talk about what happens when we reach hyperinflation. And the only reason I'm discussing this is to create the pressing and urgent need behind counter-economic solutions, which a lot of people are starting to work on, but we need to get the ball rolling. And so I'm going to kind of tie, uh, tie this urgency to why we've designed above market the way it is and how we can go ahead and get started as quick as possible. So I want to talk about currency. Um, one of the most famous examples of a failed currency or hyperinflation is the German papier mark, which Germany needed to uh, essentially print a whole bunch of in, in 1914 after World War I. They had to pay back their debts to other countries. And so they went off the gold reserve, the gold mark, and create these papier marks, right? And so in a matter of seven years, you used to be able to exchange back in 1914 a, about uh, four four paper marks for uh, one U.S. dollar at that time. In a matter of seven years, it went from, you know, after a few years, it went to 700 paper marks per dollar. Then it went to one trillion paper marks. And so you can see in the bottom right there, they have these 
crazy looking notes, a hundred billion marks, right? Wow. Like look how much money that is. And so uh, kind of uh, taking inspiration from the problem, uh, Ludwig von Mises, an Austrian economist, he referred to this as uh, the crack up boom, right? Where, uh, and he has a very like succinct quote of what happens. And, and this is what I feel the direction the world economy is going into. And it's really scary to see that. Um, and the quote is, but then the, the masses, the finally the masses wake up. They become suddenly aware of the fact that inflation is a deliberate policy and will go on endlessly. A breakdown occurs. The crack up boom appears. Everybody is anxious to swap his or her money against real goods, no matter whether he needs them or not, no matter how much money he has to pay for them. Within a very short time, within a few weeks or even days, the things which were used as money are no longer used as media of exchange. They become scrap paper. Nobody wants to give away anything against them. And so describing this idea of the crack up boom, which is, you know, uh, a very realistic possibility of what could happen to uh, our Western economy, backed uh, not backed by gold reserve, backed on uh, the, the USD. And we really need to t- see to t- become aware of where we are at this point in time. Um, and there's something missing there with all this crypto, all these projects that we're doing. Um, you know, even these, these, this welfare that we're getting from the state because, you know, so there's, there's this mass poverty. What is, what is the underlying problem? And the underlying problem is a lack of substance. Even though we have 7,000 cryptos and a lot of really awesome projects, you know, uh, even, you know, being used, uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, you're starting to get them on certain vendors. You can buy uh, uh, niche goods with them. It's not getting mass adoption. There is not a backing. There's not a real world backing besides the mining power that went into it. But really, what is there? Is it just an investment vehicle? Can it become something more? So our investment in this external, uh, it's, it's this fake substance. I don't think there's any substance there. Uh, we invest in it through fake fiat mediums and our life force energy, right? Which we go ahead and work. We, we, Work for eight hours a day, working for a job, putting your life force energy, which is going towards, you know, it's going towards taxation. Um, it's it's not contributing to our greater good. It's not contributing to our individual good. Uh, ironically, it's contributing to those who are going to be the most well off anyways when this hyperinflation happens because they'll have uh, they'll they'll have the position to convert it to real assets. And I don't think we're at that stage yet, but really, it's not it's not too long of a time. Um, so the good news is the solution is staring us right in the face. We need to make the effort to transition into substance. And the first, uh, the fir- there's two aspects to this, right? There's your own production and there's also the freedom of exchange. And these are both under attack. So the first uh, comes from generating your own production. And uh, you guys already know this. You guys realize this. This is kind of the essence of the greater reset is getting you to understand that you have the sovereignty to create and that you need to create uh, in order to be a, uh, you know, productive member of this new society. Right. You this is what you put into it and what you get out. And we all need to be on top of our production if we want to survive whatever is coming. Um, And. The uh, so so the five days of the greater reset are kind of all about this, right? Regenerate the earth. We 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 all understand that we need to go ahead and start growing gardens. That at least that way we can't be leveraged into doing anything to get fed, right? We're creating production there. Um, mind, body, and health. 
And uh, mind, body, and health is also super important. Uh, we're, we're learning how to heal ourselves and to get our medicine. Oops, I realized I was on the previous slide. Yeah, so um, so the, the, the major point is, is we have resources. We have these resources that are available to us, right? Our awareness, our access to the internet, which, you know, uh, people are bringing up concerns, which are valid. But at this point, our majority of internet access is fettered. We're seeing a change. So we have this little window of time where we can go ahead and make moves. Uh, we have our savings that are still available to us, right? Our, so so majority of people, I mean, there's a lot of people who have less than, you know, $1,000 in the bank, but uh, there's still a few of us who have some capital to work with. And we also have our human capital, our awareness now of what it really means to be a producer and how we can convert our, our fake substance into real substance. So with these three resources together, we need to go ahead and make a transition because these are really, we're really seeing the last year, the last few years we're going to have to create powerful counter-economic systems. So, so, um, so let's talk about these counter-economic tools. A lot of people, a lot of really great projects were discussed today. Um, and let's talk about what it really takes to make a counter-economic uh, project or tool work, right? This is essentially, okay, I've taken care of, of my production. I have something to give. What can I use to, one, uh, be able to organize the, the free exchange of this easily and without without external coercion, right? Um, how can I do it in a way that the the uh, transaction is confidential uh, so that no one else can have information about it and so that there can't be additional coercive measures um, uh, unless we, we choose to give, we, unless we consent to those measures, right? But that should be the individual choice and that's what I believe. And so working on, a, so these, these, uh, the vision behind this is to create a network effect for above market, right? Um, seeing how how big freedomcells.org is getting how, and how big the greater reset is getting, we must realize that we quickly need to move everyone onto these systems if we really wanted to have massive social change, right? And these, uh, so there's two parts that we need to focus on, just our means of uh, liberation from regulations, licenses, and fees. I don't believe that that there should be an external authority that goes ahead and, and limits how you can sell your products. Um, and secondly, our financial system, which is, you know, completely subverted, like go ahead and try and pay for anything with a credit card. Um, there's taxes, there's fees, there's data collections. It's a really an indivisible part of it. And it doesn't make any sense to me because I, I want to show you this. Actually, I, I want to show you a demo showing that we can go ahead and create these counter-economic markets. So, Y'all are aware of that and y'all are searching for solutions, but there hasn't been a strong enough effort or maybe it's not the effort, but there, you know, the stars haven't aligned for the technologists in this world to create something that we can start moving a lot of people onto. Uh, and it's that my hope that above market can be one of the first platforms that takes a step in this direction. So the foundations above market, I, I do like to go into kind of the philosophy and the underlying ideas carrying on from people who were talking about this um, in the 1960s and 1980s uh, is agorism, of course, as uh, as championed by Derek Bros and John Bush and, and who really are responsible for getting me into a lot of this philosophy. But I, I truly do want to abide by the five axioms of agorism. And of course, the, you know, part of Part of that is as is, is close to the ideal as possible. We're not going to be 
perfect the first time. None of the solutions that are presented here now are nothing's ever going to be perfect, but we can still try and abide by these principles. And then the other is crypto anarchy, which is a, a counterculture movement based off of libertarianism uh, that started happening in the mid 1980s, uh, really led by Timothy C. May and also David Sham, who was he was inspired by. But both of these thinkers, both in agorism and crypto anarchy, they predicted huge trends 20 to 30 years before they happened and still are happening. Uh, like encrypted messaging, right? Cryptocurrencies, even contact tracing, like what's what happening with COVID. They predicted this back in the mid 1980s. So these guys were definitely visionary thinkers. And I see their ideas as a continuation of the work that technologists need to be continuing today to have these principles, because there's definitely been a uh, technocratic centralized control of the technologists that come, they, they, you know, they frame it as things being convenient, developer tools that are being convenient, but there's also, they're getting their paws into the mix. So you need people that are principled to go ahead and create these new free and counter-economic platforms. Um, I just want to go over the five axioms really quick, right? So we talk about open marketplace at, at least limiting as possible. You don't want to try and tell anyone what to do. Of course, when we're going to above market, we're going to talk about a few things that make it a little different. Um, then the second part is self-correction, right? The, uh, there's going to be, inevitably, there's going to be people who try and cheat others, right? Or they're just dishonest. And so the market needs to be able to self-correct and account for those people and kind of uh, cut them out because they're not, they're not abiding by the shared code and philosophy. Community protection really does play into this as well, right? The community needs to fully support each other. We need to believe in the value of our goods and we need to take a higher standard with more power, with more power, with not being cursed comes more responsibility. We've got to treat, at least we have to treat each other better than abusive software services, better than abusive financial services. Treat us because we are the only hope that we have for each other. And so we have to cling on to that. Um, the fourth is network effects. Uh, Konkin described the process of this four stages and kind of it, uh, as it, as it grows in value, as the network effect of agorism and these, uh, alternative systems of making money, producing, become more viable because more people are coming onto them. It just becomes the obvious choice, right? So going from stage one to stage four, it's like at first, on these counter-economic markets, uh, man, it's really hard to find like toothpaste or soap, uh, but, but it becomes like easier and easier and easier, right? And so uh, more so for the buyers and for the sellers, it's this multi-sided marketplace that works together to improve it. And lastly is practice, which is not just, you know, having all this theory, theory behind it, but living it day to day. And we really need a digital platform uh, to, to bring this to us soon. To talk a little bit about crypto anarchy, this is kind of the implementation side. We talked about, you know, what it really ta uh, takes to have like the uh, a free exchange. And so now this is also the the protection side is how can we go ahead and protect ourselves from people who may not want us to operate in this manner. And so crypto anarchy really fits this. Uh, they, they work perfectly in tandem. And I see a lot of the ideas reflected by the two think uh, the three thinkers. Right. So um David Shaw was writing about this in the 1980s where he was talking about the advent of encryption and how it essentially allowed you to have an identity without having an identity, right? Um, to be someone on the internet, online, and uh, convey value, but not having that be tied to a real identity using uh, um, asymmetric encryption, right? And the use of pseudonyms, which is essentially just not having any real information tied to you while you're 
operating on the internet, right? And that's, and we've, the structures that are in place have made it very hard to do. And again, the developers are partially complicit to this. And I've been, I've been seeing a lot of good, uh, good statements uh, by Presearch uh, um, and Portal uh, from earlier that are standing up and standing against this and, you know, not wanting to use these abusive third-party services that make it easier for developers, but completely profit off it, right? So uh, we want this, uh, these pseudonyms, we want these conf- confidentiality, really the, any markets like this that are responsible for transactions, that are responsible for sensitive information, as I'll show you, they need to be trustless as in that, okay, you know, there has to be a minimized risk if this, um, these, these platforms are taking your data. What does that exactly look like? And I'll also talk about some uh, end-to-end encryption platforms that are doing this today and why that may or may not be the right way and also how Above Market is trying to innovate and push it forward. Um, lastly is verifiability, right? Is uh, This is how you can understand that you, this is the same person you were doing business with last time. This is the same person you bought from last time. This is the same person who delivers quality products to their buyers. Uh, this person's verifiable. They're trusted. Other people sign off on them. And last is untraceability is how can we, how can we have this identity without it being traced to you? Okay. So now we've kind of got the theory behind it, and then we can go into the real features of the bug market, how, of how this was designed. And soon we're going to jump into our demo, and I guess I'll prep you guys for that. Again, my intention was to have like a real in-person demo and be like, okay, does anyone from the audience want to go ahead and uh, sell me something? I will buy something for you on this really early rudimentary prototype of above market I, I guess this would be a good time to mention this market is not done. I've been working on it kind of alongside all the other projects I mentioned, and I really want to do it. I see it as my activism, as my as my service, but uh, it's definitely not something that you would want to hand over incomplete, right? You'd want to have the proper support for it. So uh, I've been exploring this idea further. The hard part was really understanding the d- design, the exchange between the multiple parties in this market. And I think a lot of the bigger answer, uh, an- uh, bigger questions have been answered. And now it's just kind of um, proving that the technology works, which I'll, which I'll attempt to show you today based on our internet. And uh, also that um, also to kind of have this balancing act between, between these principles that I was talking about earlier of agorism and crypto anarchy, but still balancing them to what is possible with today's technology. And it's and it's again it's quite challenging. Uh, you've got to protect anything like this from corrupt actors, and you've got to build a sovereign of existing control, uh, while still ensuring it's accessible to the vast majority of people. So let's get into it. So this uh, this prototype. Uh, so I just want to start off by saying there's a lot of uh, projects that we discussed today that were decentralized, right? Talked about IPFS earlier, that was decentralized. You run your own computer, your own server that runs the software and you can connect to each other. What I'm building today is not decentralized, it is centralized, but it is still allows free exchange between the parties involved in a way that minimizes leakage to the outside world. And to the point where you don't need to trust that above market is getting your sensitive information and that you are not sending us any uh, information that could personally identify you, right? So this creates that untraceability. This creates that total separation that minimizes the risk of the centralized market. And the other point I, I want to make too is because there is such a big push towards decentralized technology. I just want to make the point that 
Uh, these decentralized technologies are not easy to work with. And I'm saying coming as a technologist, I definitely think we should put, invest in it and put our time into it. But there's still a point where, you know, there's not necessarily a data layer. We don't have the luxury of the Web 2.0, which has existed and which, by the way, the most successful crypto market, uh, crypto commerce markets of our time, Silk Road, uh, the Darknet markets. Those are all central markets. I mean, the networking may be through Tor, but uh, at the end of the day, there's a, you know, there's a, a web server with a database backend. And that worked for a lot of people. And, you know, there was a lot of, call it what you want it, uh, but there was a lot of free exchange happening there and it worked. So my question is, why can't we bring this to the surface web? Uh, it can be centralized as long as we, one, come into it with the awareness of what we're leaking, and two, really take every step possible to protect ourselves. Okay, so I think we're about to get into it. Um, so let me just talk about how it works, right? So I'll jump into this in a, se uh, in a second, and I'll create an account on Above Market. But it works with uh, BYOK and GYOK, right? BYOK is um, kind of like, uh, it's, it's a play on bring your own beer, but instead it's bring your own key. Um, the issue with a lot of modern end-to-end uh, -end encryption platforms is that you have to put trust into them because one, they're generating your keys for you. They're generating it. They're storing it. They may be uh, obfuscating it through, you know, hashing or, uh just uh, uh, encrypting it with an additional password, but they're still managing that for you. And that's a big responsibility that you have to trust them with. So uh, this is essentially bring my own key is uh, bring your own key is a rebranding of what, what already exists on darknet markets where it's just like, dude, don't even bring your plain text here. Give me cipher text only have that be sent to the recipient, sent to your counterparty in the transaction already encrypted. That way nothing passes through the platform in a way that can be listened to. Right. Uh, so that provides a good layer of protection. So there's bring your own key encryption and then there's generate your own key encryption, which is more uh, generate your own key can be more convenient. Right. Where would this private key be stored? It would be stored in the browser. That's not necessarily safe. So uh, this we should have privacy by default. And that's what you'll see above market uh, aims to do is have privacy by default. So we're going to sign up for account in a second, but the, how it works is essentially people sign up. Everyone can go ahead and buy goods at first. There's a flat monthly fee using the exact same purchasing process, which I'll go through uh, for, for people to stay on. So that means that there's no transaction fees on every transaction that happens. There's just a flat monthly fee for every vendor that wants to sell in the market. And uh, I think that's also important because it allows, it sets this up so where you can can pay people out directly. Um, there's also a big issue in kind of the decentralized agorist markets of trust. Okay, I'm sending crypto to this person, but how how will I how will I know he's actually going to fulfill my order? Right? There's that big question, and there, it's really hard to stay with reputation. You kind of have to ask around, or there has to be some centralized way of trying of getting that information about someone. And of course, people are working on technologies to to make these decentralized markets. But in the current way, this is how we've always seen it on e-commerce platforms. Is this is how people build trust and reputation. So traders will can go ahead and create a number of shops. Uh, the communication happens back and forth from the trader and the buyer, and then the payments pass through an optional escrow, right? So this is this above market is an intermediary where it sits between it and it can, you can choose escrow or you can pay it out directly to the wallet, but then you're, you're missing that element of, Hey, 
uh, well, he already has the coins at this point. And of course, you know, being a part of the centralized market, you will be able to review that. And so that's at least a little bit more protection than, okay, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're in a, we're in a decentralized web and it's very hard for you to make it right. And, you know, there's also less incentive for parties to be trustworthy. So let me go ahead and demo this to you. Let's see what we can do. Okay, you're gonna see my screen. Okay, I'm just gonna verify it's happening. Okay, this is great. Uh, shout out to our designer, uh, S, for making this awesome, awesome backdrop. We've got the above market guy, you know, with his dog, he's chilling. And let's go ahead and run through the sign-up sign process. Excellent. Okay, so this is the onboarding process, right? So I'm really, I'm going to walk you through to what I've been building since January. And I'd, I'd love your thoughts. I'd love your feedback. You can reach me at Ramiro at above-agency.com. I'll plug all the emails and stuff after this. We're looking for people who want to get involved. You're looking for software engineers. We're, uh, yeah. And so let's just get into it. So the first thing is creating an account. And now this is important. I'm going to open up uh, a, my key manager, right? So this is all local. And I'm doing this to show you exactly why uh, bring your own encryption is so super important. We're going to create a new user and we'll call it, uh, we're going to generate this new key and generate this key pair, right? And this is tied to a name. Let's call uh, ourselves, um, let's call ourselves the Agorists. This would be your username on above market. Your, your encryption keys name is tied to the authentication of above market. So there's not really a, there's a step, you know, there's, you're, you're kind of locked into that. So once you say you are someone and you've built a reputation, no one else can go ahead and claim that from you unless they have your private key. And then we're also going to have this email where I'll just put in something in the meantime, address as above agency.com. And uh, okay, so that looks good. We'll just up up value. We accept our RSA keys at this point, and then okay, I'll make the passwords agorists. Right, cool. And you see what I'm doing? I'm I'm just creating a new key. This is not technically complex. Anyone can go ahead and, and set up something like KGPG and Cleopatra, which are on Linux and allows you to do this. There's also a Win GPG that you can do this on Windows. There's also tools on Mac OS. This is not difficult. Uh, it just takes a little bit of knowledge uh, and education. So we're going to go ahead and generate this key. We're going to do some random stuff to make the seed more random, and eventually it is going to be created. Great. So um, so we've got this key made, and you'll see why this comes in handy, is we're going to work through the process now, right? We've got this key called Agoris, and this is our email. I think I have it saved. Nope. Okay. And this is a really bad policy. Just I'm going to do it for the sake of the demo is I'm going to make the password to email. So no worries. I'm going to submit it. And here we're getting to the stage where we're, we're choosing between bring your own key encryption and generate your own key encryption. Of course, because we are security minded, we're privacy conscious, we're going to use to bring your own key encryption. 
So we'll uh, we'll actually use this. Uh, oh my gosh, that is a very big. It's <laughs> a really big icon. Cool. That one slipped through the cracks. So um so. So right now I'm going to export our public key. And so just to, just to have a little refresher on asymmetric encryption, we've got a public key and a private key. And then they're essentially, uh, they're essentially inverse code books. So you can generate a, uh, a message using your private key. And there's, a, uh, it, there's literally like a mapping or an algorithm of the text that it can create. And then you can use your public key uh, to... Um, to decrypt that message, right? So it's vice versa. If you encrypt something with your private key, you can decrypt it with your public key. That is called assigning and verifying. And then vice versa, you can encrypt something with someone uh, someone else's private key or some, sorry, someone else's public key. And then they can, they, you can know that that message is completely confidential and then they can decrypt it with their own private key, which they only have access to. So right now we're asking for the public key because in order to talk to people on the market, you're going to want to know public key and so that information goes only to them so let's export the public key to our clipboard so that and paste it in there we've got this public key block with this really big icon cool and now and now we're getting to the challenge portion where where it's uh, okay so this is how you prove that the communication works and so the onboarding process we challenge you okay you've created you've gone ahead and give us the public key do you actually have access to this key and so now we're going to decrypt this message and i'm going to show you how easy it is oh man uh, my powerpoint crashed that's funny and that's doing stuff pause one second Okay, so we're going to our key manager and we'll go into our editor and so we've got this pgp message for us so we've got this PGP message. This is essentially what anyone on the market, they, they would send you using your uh, using their own message and encrypting it with your public key. And so we're going to decrypt it. And uh, remember our secret key, I mentioned the password was just going to be the name. And so we decrypt it and we see this five-letter string that's just verifying that, hey, are you, you are the owner behind this. So we'll paste that in there and boom, that's it. And that's a challenge. Now we'll talk a little bit. Uh, I won't. I won't stick on this too long. But there are principles that um, above market does stand by: uh, trust and fairness. Parties on the platform need to trust each other and represent themselves accurately. Right? It's very, very aggravating when um, you're advertised a product, uh, product, and it doesn't come as advertised, or the service was really bad. So this trust and fairness comes in to where we don't try and deceive others on the market. Right? And this is uh, these are principles that we can go ahead and you know. Um, abide by or actually prove that we abide by by signing signing again with your uh, your private key um, these you know maybe your own code or your own creed or your own uh, your own take on it so here's a couple of guidelines we set fair prices we represent products accurately we there's a big portion of you know promoting this free exchange to uh, to put quality above everywhere else and to celebrate that. So when a buyer, you know, when a buyer is super communicative with you, um, you, you, you know, you, uh, you give them that, you give them that uh, receptiveness back, you rate them. So both buyers and traders have a reputation on above market. And this will get important later into the incentives of what really holds the fabric of this counter economy together. Um, there's, there's some, some other stuff there. There's this whole process back and forth between 
Yes, uh, backstage, I, I've got my a handle on the slides. Thank you. Um, so there's uh, this whole process between a buyer and trader that needs to happen. And we'll kind of go into that too. Um, and so there's safeguards, right? So if you start dropping orders, that will look bad in reputation. It won't kick, you know, it won't like get you kicked off the market or anything because that's that's kind of coercive. But it will definitely people will have to keep it in mind. And so it's this balancing act, again, of having this trust and reputation while still having some sort of uh, some sort of verifiability or some sort of reputation on the market. And the easiest way to do this is just a ratio of orders completed to orders not completed for whatever reason the buyer canceled or for whatever reason the vendor wasn't the trader wasn't able to deliver. Okay, um, there's some additional stuff there that we, we don't need to get into right now, but let's just go ahead and jump onto the market. Um, so got this, we were agorists, right? And excellent. Glad we refreshed. Cool. So I'm just going to log into the market. That works, right? So this is the market. Uh, there's nothing, you know, uh, when I was building this out, a pretty... <laughs> Um, nonstop over the past month, I just focused on getting the real the real meat of the application done because I just wanted to show you that this is possible and we need to step up and do it. Um, so let's just go to the marketplace where there's a bunch of orders created already. And I'll show you what that looks like too from the trader's perspective so you can get an eye, right? So we've got all these markets. This is really, really uh, familiar, right? It's that same look and feel of any e-commerce marketplace and this is how easy it can be this is how easy it should be you shouldn't need to download or install anything you should just come in with a uh, understanding of the privacy concerns that this has and being able to protect your connection to the market and then you should just be able to um, ex freely exchange from a web browser from a mobile phone it shouldn't matter it should be this easy this is what it's going to take something this easy to get people on these counter economic systems because I think it's it's a race and we're running out of time. So let's move over to the trader view, right? The person who is selling these goods, because I want to show you. Let's see. Cool. So this is another account I have logged in. Um, this is my account, right? And I have the shop called A Friend in Need. And I can go ahead and manage the shop. I can add listings. I can sell anything on this market. Um, really, the sky is the limit. Anything you can pay for, you you, you want to put on here, right? And so there's definitely a lot of possibilities I'll talk about later. But this this could be goods. This could be services. The only thing is I, I would mention is that this, since this is a surface web market, is the um, is a limitation of risk. And, and so for that reason, I like to call above market a green market, which is positivity. It's it's goodness. It's productiveness. It's not coercive activities. Um, so we wouldn't allow uh, we wouldn't allow guns. We wouldn't allow uh, drugs um, or like highly illicit materials, adult materials, because this market's just not about that. This is about creating a better future for us all. And there are other places where you can get that on the darknet market. Right. So this is again, it's trying to be the market that is above ground. And again, it's this it's this type of mindset we need to go into if we think we're going to survive against uh we need to make it as at least risky as possible for everyone involved in the market. So for that reason, um, these are these things are disallowed. 
So this is more for like, you know, your any any good or services outside of that, right? If you're, you know, if you're into coercive things, this is probably not the best market for you, but this is just one interpretation of a counter economy. And there are many more out there. So I invite you to check them out. Um, but in this case, you know, uh, this, this uh, role playing as this psychologist, um, this person offers short conversations because they're really good at listening to people for $2 and just listening to their problems, right? So it's really this, um, really this free exchange. Sell whatever you want, whatever, whatever creativity, whatever production you can provide to the world, provide it and get paid for it. Oh man, I'm running out of time. So let's just run through this. Okay, so I just want to demo what this process looks like. Um, so now we're creating a listing. We have selected a shop. We're creating a listing, and I want to show you live on stream what this looks like. Um, I want to ask if anyone in the audience has a Litecoin address and wants to paste it in there, um, I will go ahead and pay out to you. I will buy something for you, and we'll kind of role play it out. This may not work, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold my breath. But it would be really cool if we got some, you know, obviously use like a, you're not your real Litecoin address, but generate a new one specifically for this. The purchase will be like anywhere from like two to five dollars. So, yeah, please join me on stream. I think it'd be really cool to pull, pull this off. Just go ahead and leave a comment in the live section. Um, I think the producers will try and get me that Litecoin address. But if it doesn't happen, no worries. OK, so we're going to create this a new listing. Let's call it. Let's call it um, create a reset. And what you're going to offer is drinks. And so uh, part of this is making your listings more accessible. So you can you can choose your URL, right? It's not some random string. You can you can share it with people. It even ranks on search results. This is what we need to do if you want the network effect to happen. And this drink is going to be five dollars. And uh, we're going to put a description in. Yummy tea or juice uses all organic ingredients. And then now this is like the important part of the process is what is really involved in this exchange of information between like crypto commerce, right? How do we conduct commerce online and still have it be private? Well, I only see a few things that need to happen, right? We need to encrypt the sensitive communication. For most uh, for most goods, if it's not digital, this is just the address, right? So in this case, it's like, where can I deliver your drink, right? And that's the question we have for whoever's buying. And if they answer it, we should be able to deliver to them. Or we, we may say, hey, okay, I can't necessarily deliver to you there. And let's find an image for this project. Bear with me. Okay. Drink. Nice. Okay. And now I'm going to go ahead and create this listing. Okay, on this end, I'll refresh the other page. Okay, that image isn't loading, it's okay. Um, so now we can actually, on the left-hand side, I have the buyer, and the right-hand side, I have the seller. I apologize, that was just a bad route. So I can go ahead and see, this is what happens when 
when you do kind of demos live, you have to risk this. But I don't mind. I don't mind taking risks. So we have uh, we have our we have our shop, right? And then look, we have our we have our the greater reset drinks, which of course the image isn't working because they didn't want to work, but it's all right. So on the left hand side, we've got this market, and we're coming in as an agorist, and we're going to buy. And uh, I'll try and make this as quick as possible. So let's well, let's go ahead and move into this buying process. What does this really look like? So there's a few things that need to happen, right? The first thing is where can I deliver your drink? So we know the counterparty in this transaction as Remy Roro, and we actually have already automatically copied his public key to the clipboard. So now we can send a message directly to him, right? This is something that makes it super easy. And now we can go ahead and open our editor, or actually we're going to import the key. We're going to import this public key that we have that's copied to our clipboard. Cool. And this is this uh, Remy Roro key, right? Our counterparty in the transaction. And now we are going to open the editor and be like, hey, man, or hey, you can deliver uh, the drink on Friday at the greater reset in ZWA. Cool. So that's it. And we're going to go ahead and encrypt this only for a Rumoruro so that no one else could have access to this message. As you can see, it's already encrypted before it even hits the browser. So even if above market was subverted, which it wouldn't be, um, there's nothing to actually leech from this message. It's not meant for anyone else but the parties involved. And we submit that request. So now we have this order coming in. The picture's not coming in, but that's okay. And we see that it's requested. And then let's go back to our trader, which we see that our trader has orders. And we see that this is requested. So we've got these requested uh, these requested drinks. We've got our order number for it. And we have answers to our questions, right? Um, these are the answers we did earlier. So now let's reverse the process and see the real answers behind it and see that at no point in time were we able to spy on what actually occurred. Okay, so let's go here. So this is the PGP message. It's actually the exact same PGP message since I encrypted it. Now I'm going to decrypt it. And uh, we are the trader in this case. We have the trader's private key. So we're just going to type in the password. Oh, okay. Wow. It's, uh, it's exactly the message we needed. So at this point, um, this is kind of where the trader needs to make the distinction. Hey, can I actually deliver on for this particular buyer? This is how we worked around the issue of having like a third party API to calculate the distance between, you know, this country and that country and calculate shipping pricing. We don't need to do all that. Let's make it a little bit more decentralized. Um, have that open exchange between people and then the trader be the final say in how much money needs to get added on to the order, right? So we're going to make a contract here, okay? It'll be like, hi, I'll deliver your drink at the date and time, but that specialty, that's a specialty, uh, is a little more expensive. Uh, maybe it's like a rush job, you know, maybe it's like a, like a really custom blanket that you're selling. For whatever reason, there's an additional fee and we can go ahead and add that and we'll add that for $2. And we're also creating this contract, which we can go ahead and sign as a trader. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and sign this contract between us. And this is how really uh, the counter economy should work is we should stick to our promises and we should have it backed by uh, ver uh, verifiable processes. Okay, so I'm going to finish quite soon here. Um, 
So we've got this order coming in. So we see it, it's approved on the left-hand side and we'll go into it. And now we have the ability to pay with Litecoin. Uh, that's what we're gonna use today. And I'm just gonna open up my wallet to get ready. Don't mind that. Cool. So now I'm going to show you how the payment actually works. And I'm going to show you how the escrow works. So we're ready to pay. And, you know, the original drink was $5. We added $2. I'm ready to pay for this thing. Um, here's the contract. I actually forgot to encrypt this contract. So it came in unencrypted. That's because auto encrypt wasn't on. Um, but it's all right, because if you had encrypted it, we would have just repeated that same process to decrypt it, except this time for our Agorist account. Uh, and so now we will actually click on Litecoin and our payment gateway will be alerted to watch for transactions to the new address it's gonna generate. We're gonna see the address pop up and we are going to send this amount. And I'm just showing you how, how easy it is, right? I mean, I, I built this thing majority by myself over the course of a few months. This can happen. Let's go ahead and copy the Litecoin value too. Why make mistakes? So we're going to send this amount. I'll add a few cents for the transaction fee, and we're going to send it off. Excellent. So I should get a notification pretty soon that it was paid. We should get confirmations, and we may not be able to see the transaction at that state, but let's just give it a second. And I'll also talk a little bit more through uh, the idea of above market and what I want to share. There's a risk, there's a risk assurance here, right? Um, there's this balancing act between the idea, the ideals of libertarian and agorist philosophy and then what actually happens in the real world. And so there needs to be these methods of where, um, where there needs to be these methods of, so I'll just be one more second. I've just got one more slide. So these risk assurances and incentives. So there's three parts of this for buyers. There's the jerk tax. If you are not a cooperative buyer, if you're not answering the questions properly, if you're taking a long time to pay, you know, it's going to hurt your reputation and traders won't want to work with you. Vice versa for the buyers, the traders. For the platform, it's as simply as exit scamming has been a big problem of, you know, just taking all the money in escrow and leaving with it. Well, that's why the flat monthly revenue should always, uh, should always uh, overlap the total escrow. So there's no incentive there, right? The market will want to go ahead and keep those uh, monthly fees coming in. Uh, let me go ahead and refresh the page and let's see if this order got paid. Wow. Look at that. So it works, right? We sent this payment uh, again. You didn't see me like send my coins. I didn't send my coins to, well, I sent my coins to the market. It went ahead and was able to uh, tell when that order was paid. And now this money is now in escrow. Uh, and I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and mark it as received. It didn't seem like we got any comments from uh, the audience. So this is just going to pay out to my address, but I'm just going to mark it as received. And this should send a pull payment to my, my wallet. So the market has received. Okay, great. And so now it's fulfilled. And this is the actual point where the escrow completes and it gets paid out to people. I'm just going to pull, pull out one last thing. Just give me one second. I apologize. Cool. 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 All right. So where, where do we go next from this? 
So we need to increase utility through services and subscription and mutual aid funds, right? We need to create uh, productive economies from solutions like these. We need to champion solutions like these. We need to sell and buy to each other on these alternative markets. We've got all this crypto. We've got all this Bitcoin. Why don't we actually back it with something of substance? Um, uh, another way to make this idea shine further is to add community messaging around the Agora, right? Have conversations about the valuable products and be able to go to people. So these are all things we can implement. We can increase privacy by supporting Tor. We can support more cryptocurrencies. But the issue is, is that software engineering is in, it's complex. It's difficult. Uh, the developers demand a lot of pay. And so what I would like to do with Above Market and what we're t- our team is planning to do is have a crowdfunding approach. And we're looking for $190,000. And this is kind of the split of how all of that is going to work. The product development, uh, the design, the front end, back end infrastructure should all be... Uh, should all the it's, it's very important that these systems are properly tested and designed and so that the the end users have the best market as possible so there's that there's no issues so that payouts happen immediately right and then also since this market is going to be it's going to be quite you know attractive to not only state forces but also in like independent forces there needs to be a lot of the private infrastructure we're not going to use any cloud services we've got to build our own infrastructure we need to protect this infrastructure so we need to have that cybersecurity we need to go ahead and add more, more coins and payment gateways onto uh, onto the market we're going to need crypto engineering for that and then lastly is the uh, edge outreach and marketing of how, how everything i described today, I made it look easy, but it, you know, it takes a little bit of understanding to get to that point. So also have that outreach and marketing out to the communities so that they can go ahead and share with each other. And lastly is the legal protection from all of this is where we have private incorporation on offshore jurisdiction, which I see, which is the only way I think this is going to happen. We have some people uh, bringing up concerns about the, you know, the DNS being attacked and the DNS is open to attack, but there's alternative ways to have DNS servers. Um, John and Derek are going to join me in a second. Um, but I believe that having a private jurisdiction would be the best way to do this and uh, so that there's no single ownership of the market. And instead, it's owned by this trust or private corporation and a privacy-minded jurisdiction. So that's my plan for the market. Thanks for having me. It looks like we have our host back on. Just perfect timing, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I wish I could be there in person. How would I do? I've just been talking. You did, for like You did great, man. You did great. John, we can't hear you. I, I'm going to imagine applause. Oh, here yeah, we go. Let's one more time. Take two. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. All this, all this work that the three of us, you know, uh, the Greater Reset, the Activation, the FreedomSolves.org, all of it is is for us, right? And we, I see, I see so many people putting energy and intention into these systems, as Derek has said, as John has said, and we need to continue to innovate, uh, to create more. And I'm so glad we're at this tipping point where we're going to see this Agora flourish. And I'm really excited to be on this ride with y'all. For every anything I discussed today, please reach out to me at. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see what we got. Scrolling down on the slide. Okay, guys, could you, you, you mind sharing that one last slide? Just give me like 15 seconds so people can see it. Great. So uh, support us by uh, going joining our mailing list at above-market.com. If you just want to stay tuned uh, for our building and our funding process, contact me directly if you want to talk about uh, how the technology works or if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to contribute, if you want to fund us. Contact me at Ramiro at aboveagency.com, above-agency.com. And we're also recruiting above-agency. 
we uh, we work with developers, we work with designers, we work with support analysts. So I think that's everything for me. I'll let you guys take it. All right. Thanks, Ramiro. Good stuff. I'm impressed. I don't know how he's able to pull all that stuff off and everything that we've done here. So we got a hardworking team, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say thanks again to Ramiro for all the work he's doing behind the scenes. And thanks to everybody here in Zero who's dealing with the technical difficulties we had. I'm like outside the venue, but we're still making the show go. And I appreciate that. I just want to say a couple notes, John, before we wrap up. I know you got it's time for everybody to get out the venue in Austin. Uh, just want to mention that you know, whether you're in Austin or Zero, please make the chance to connect with each other or you're watching online. Tonight, we're going to have an intentional community meetup from 6 to 8 at a local restaurant. There's going to be some yoga and sound bathroom. There's a lot of connection that's happening, and I want to invite people wherever they're at to just make sure to use this as an opportunity to connect to like minds. And uh, we're stoked to be back tomorrow for Day 5, Building Community and Relationships. Yep, Day 5. Every day has its own theme. They're all interconnected. And one thing that I'm taking away is appreciation for the doers out there, right? People have ideas for days and philosophies for days, but the challenging part is putting those ideas into play, into practice. So I hope that in addition to seeing all these projects and all this cool stuff that's going on, we have inspired you guys in some way to expand the projects in your life, maybe to start a project you've been thinking about, to collaborate with your like-minded fellow human beings to do some really cool stuff because it's going to take a lot of work to turn the tide, but I think the tide is turning, and now we just got to throw some more fuel on the fire. Absolutely. All right, John, will you take it away, man? Until next time, everybody, remember, you're powerful, beautiful, and free. Peace. All right. Peace, everybody. We're going to play you out with this trailer until tomorrow. We'll be back at 12 Central Standard Time. Peace and freedom. As we wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal. Americans are facing a new normal, one that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. In 2021, the free hearts and minds of the world are standing together in celebration of freedom and community. The people are waking and organizing. The people are recognizing their own power. The people of the world are uniting against the Great Reset. The people are celebrating the Greater Reset. From May 24th to 28th, join us as we gather online and in person for the Greater Reset from activation to expansion. Over five days, we will focus on practical solutions for the most pressing issues of our time. Over 30 world-class speakers will share ideas in five different themes. May 24th, Mind, Body, and Soul. May 25th, Regenerate the Earth. May 26th, The Counter-Economy. May 27th, Liberating Technology. May 28th, Community and Relationships. Don't miss out on the next step in the Greater Reset. It's time to get activated. This is our world, our way.